All right, welcome back to the Poor Sports Podcast. We are uh, we're doing remote today. Yeah, kind, kind of. Well, kind remote. Of. We're doing a we have a remote studio that we're we have a remote in. studio, and it's nice. Listen, we got lots of studios, folks. You uh, you have all the right equipment for a remote studio, and that's yes. the most important thing. But we're yeah. doing it at my house today. Yeah, uh, where there's air conditioning on there this is. on this <laughs> hot hot. Tacoma Day. Yeah. Well, also to be fair, we would have I would have forced you to come to my house and sweat, but I was coming up here to make an offer up transaction. And the fact that you're here uh, after doing that is that's I've an accomplishment. I've it's, survived. You survived. Uh, nothing weird happened. No funny mm-hmm. business. You made your purchase and you moved on with your day. Yes, I uh, I did go to a guy's house. To, like, because you always, how many purchases of that type have you ever made in your life? Craigslist? Uh, maybe like two or three. Okay. Not very many. Yeah. So the common thing now is to meet in like a crowded area, like a yes. grocery yeah. store parking lot. Whatever. I've seen a lot of, uh, like, if I'm just sitting there eating my lunch somewhere in a parking lot, you'll see two people roll up. Yeah. And you're like, man, I hope <laughs> this goes smoothly because if it doesn't, I am the only witness. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So this is, I drive to this place and it's Federal Way and I don't want to talk trash about the rough neighbor. You live in Federal Way. You you live in Tacoma. Tacoma I live in address, Tacoma by definition. But by Tacoma's definition, yes. you live in Federal Way. It's a lot like my ethnicity. I can claim either side sure. where it benefits me. If somebody is doing an event up north that yeah. I don't want to go to, I live in Tacoma. There's a long <laughs> way to go. If That's a whole different county. Yeah, if somebody's doing something down south, I don't want to go to. I live in Federal Way. Yeah, that's, that's a long good. way to go. That's good. I like the. <laughs> I do like the selective ethnicity oscillation where you can like, you can pick whatever. <laughs> I got selective ethnicity and selective geography. Yeah, Both that's things good. very important. Boy, I don't know which of those is going to be the title, but I feel like ethnicity is more provocative. Selective. It's probably better. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I'm driving into Federal Way, and there's like segments of Federal Way all along the I-5 corridor. You're like, basically, anything close to I-5 is a pile of shit. And then as you get closer to the water, it gets nicer. It's very nice along the water, yeah. yeah. And so like Federal Way is a town that I grew up messing around like i would like go do stuff in federal way right. i would go to these places man i can't believe my parents let me do this i would go play video games at this place <laughs> called ggr game okay. game revolution wow back when uh, counter-strike was the shit <laughs> yeah and it was literally in the parking lot of um by the way i completely hijacked the intro you were going to do an intro it's okay after you tell this story we can oh, set yeah, up we'll, what will become in the rest of the show we'll, so we'll set the show for everybody in the parking lot there was like a convenience store there was like bullet holes in the like light posts like you could see where there was like gang violence there on a regular basis. Sure, sure. And I was just playing video games there till three or four in the morning sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Federal Way. Federal Way is uh, it's definitely one of those places that uh, has slowly been gentrified. Sure. But still has a lot of the old Federal Way going on. Right. And there's a lot of stuff to do here. It still has a thriving, I mean, quote unquote, thriving mall. There's not a lot going on at the mall. Not many malls are thriving. These yes, days. but there but there are some stores there, and uh, they've built an Amazon Fresh there. Yeah. They're building a Dick's Drive-In. So, I mean, there's things that are actually So there's worth also doing. like an Asian district of Federal Way. And what I want to yes. know is, yes. do they select your ethnicity for you in that district? <laughs> the thing about, okay, one of the things we've learned living here is that 
federal way is very like, you know, a lot of places you go, there's like good Chinese food, right? Like you can always go find good Chinese food. That is not the case. Interesting. Around here. Around here, uh, it's very Vietnamese. Sure. There's a little bit of Thai, but mostly Vietnamese. It's kind of an interesting demographic. So you have a lot of... uh, a lot of restaurants that kind of cater towards that. So yeah, it's uh, and not a lot of Japanese either. Right. In fact, the most popular Japanese restaurant around here, I believe, is owned by Koreans. So, <laughs> which happens a lot. That yeah. happens a lot. I mean, well, a lot of the best Chinese food in the Northwest is made by Japanese restaurants. Even yeah, I mean, there is. Uh, see, this is why like. You have this ethnic ambiguity. Sure. <laughs> like we can't totally blame white people for not being able to identify the right Asians because we're just making food for everybody. Yes. Like everybody. Well, it's all made by Mexicans in a lot of cases. <laughs> so that's the. That's it the often real, is. We really. It often well, is. is truly I remember the uh, pot. when I was growing up, my my paternal grandmother uh, is Japanese, but was actually born here, but. Sp- spoke Japanese gotcha. and we would go to this sushi restaurant and like she spoke pretty good Japanese and uh, some of the people that worked at the sushi restaurant they were also Japanese they sure. could speak to her but one time she had to ask one of the chefs for something or one of the cooks and she was speaking to this guy and he had no clue what she was saying because he only spoke Spanish <laughs> <laughs> okay so my one of my high school friends was uh, he was from El Salvador okay spoke fluent Spanish also like Fluent English. He's a like grew up here, but his his mom's from El Salvador. He yeah. born in El Salvador. His uh, stepdad, but like the dad that raised him was Mexican. Like a lot of Spanish spoken in his home. But he, uh, I used to make fun of him. Uh, he actually would still, I think, give credit to me for one of the best roast jokes ever told to him, yeah. which is that uh, he looked like the Cleveland Indians logo, uh, like <laughs> the Chief Wahoo, yeah. <laughs> and. But so he was like somewhat ethnically ambiguous and right out of high school because he was fluent in Spanish and he was like a like a little metrosexual, got a job at a bank immediately as a translator, making like good money. Yeah. Very often people would come in and start speaking Arabic to him, like assuming oh. for sure he was Arab and spoke Arabic. Yeah. Uh, on, on those same lines, uh, as I mentioned on podcasts past, on episodes past, Uh, During the summer, I get much darker. Yes. And uh, the other day, I went into... uh, I can't remember where. We're we're still waiting for this, by the way. So, I'm a little bit darker. I went into some restaurant, and I immediately got the Spanish treatment, which happens a lot. It happens a lot, because a lot of people who are Spanish speakers assume I'm one of them. (laughs) It's very funny. I I guess I have, like, maybe I just, like... um, I had a friend... I think maybe even I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I've talked about him recently. My friend Jamal Williams, not the former, uh, not the basketball player, not the former, or the know, running back. Yeah, <laughs> none, none of the none of the other Jamal Williams. He was uh, he actually passed away a couple of years ago. But what I remember about him, he was black and he that's what you remember Eskimo. about him. He, he was one. <laughs> <laughs> he was black and Eskimo. But I always thought of him as black. Yeah, and he looked black. His name was Jamal, but people would uh, people I would like never expect to have any kind of like, you know, catalog of races in their mind would be like, oh, yeah, that Eskimo guy or that Inuit guy. They'd say Inuit. He liked Eskimo. I don't know what the right (laughs) thing is. My friend Jamal liked to be called Eskimo. Yeah. His like screen names on everything were Blackamo. And uh, but (laughs) he was. uh, Yeah. So that was always interesting to me because I was like, his name is Jamal. And he just looks like a black dude to me. 
but, but people would like pick it out. Like yeah. I, I didn't, yeah. I never, and you being Japanese, I know you, I know your last name. I've, it's come up at some point. I know you're Japanese. So to me, you're like, <laughs> I guess if it ain't white, you don't know. <laughs> like you're, no, that's so. the thing. I am a, an, I'm an enigma to most right. white people. But to me, I'm just like, I just know you're Japanese maybe. Yeah. So it's like maybe a little <laughs> bit of hindsight where I'm like, I don't understand how people don't realize yeah. Akita yeah. and how you look is Japanese. Yeah. If you know I'm Asian, then you can probably see it in me. But right. um, luckily, you know, around here, people are generally very tolerant. It's sure. when I go to other parts of the country. That's the only times I've ever been asked what I was by people who have no knowledge of who I am. Right. They have no empathy uh, for the fact that you're being right. asked a question that and it's one reduces of those you down to like a set of... <laughs> Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is that like this is probably the only time that you ever feel as a as some sort of ethnic minority different than all the people that, you know, because uh, white people don't ask other white people that question. Right. Mm, you don't get if you're another white person, I assume no one's asking you what you are because they don't care. Well, <laughs> here's what I'll say is I am. They will ask like because I'm a I'm the variety of white where I don't have enough of anything to like identify with any white culture. Right, right. So there are people who are like, what is your like country of origin or whatever? And it's like fucking everywhere. It's like yeah. Norway. Yeah. So there is, it's all the European countries. Nobody's wondering, are you white? <laughs> but they definitely are like, what, what type of white what are eth- you? What, eth- what ethnic background? What nationality you? Yeah. do you yeah. identify with the most? Yeah. That's not the way that the question is phrased. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Towards non-white people. Yeah. The way the question is phrased towards non-white people is usually something along the lines of what are you or sure. where are you from? Or it's aggressive. It's yeah. usually aggressive. And um, I mean, I've only been asked a few times in my life. It's not that bad. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have it sure. much worse. But it's always one of those things that you're like, why? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. do you even care? Like, yeah. What difference does it make? And then you have to think about, hey, if I answer this I mean, it, it's possible that no matter how I answer it, it'll be fine. But there's also this in the back of your mind. You think if I answer this wrong, there might be sure some reason for that. So it's, yeah. it's weird. Anyway, I will say I've never had to feel that. Yes. Not, to, not to get touchy feely. No. I, I mean, like, I rarely have to. Most sure. people out there. Uh, Somebody know. told me you were great value. Burt Kreischer talking about our podcast. And then I recently had a different person. <laughs> Call me Great Value Burt Kreischer. We're both so we are two Great Value Burt Kreischers. If you combined us, I think we'd be Burt Kreischer. Like if you summed our weights? Is that what <laughs> just, you're no, no. Just like, <laughs> took half and half. Yeah, yeah. I think at that point, <laughs> we've got it nailed. Okay, so uh, what are we going to talk okay, about? Okay. Oh, by s- the way, the guy in this beautiful Federal Way neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, black dude. That came out and I was like, wow, that's like great. I mean, you know, it's weird as a, as a, this is the white savior shit, but I was like, <laughs> that's awesome. Like the, uh, cause I genuinely was like, this is going to be like a boring white dude. I was also like, why is this guy selling something on offer up? If you own this like multi-million dollar home, the, this is the thing about rich people. I've noticed having grown up in, uh, I grew up in Bellevue. Sure. So, you know, you, if you, you grew up rich, Alex, we all get it. Yeah. I'm not, I was not rich, but if you go to these houses where they're having garage sales or estate sales and the people that own these places are rich. They're on either end of the spectrum as far as sure. getting rid of stuff. They they have no concept of value typically. Typically. Sure. So they're either like giving away stuff that has a lot of value or they're asking a lot of money for stuff that has no value. They're asking like, like near sticker price. For right. Like, like all their yeah. DVDs are marked at $10 and you're like, 
No one's going to pay $10 for that DVD. But then at the same time, they've got like this incredible piece of art that they're like, you can have it. It's taking up space in yeah. the living room, you know? So the, the concept of value for rich people is often uh, misconstrued. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And th- yeah, exactly. Well, and I think there's some value to this dude and me coming and taking this shit off of his hands and him not having to deal with it. Like, yes. So. Yes, the the home pickup, if you're doing an offer up type deal, like that's the dream. Like I wish all the stuff I wanted to get rid of here, I could put on offer up for sale and be like, come to my house and pick it up. But I don't want people to come to my house. Yes, that's a problem. And I I also don't want to drive down the road to like the nearest Starbucks parking lot to pass it off to them. Laziness always wins. This is why I, I when I built the podcast studio, which is now ever evolving with these fucking kids we keep having yeah <laughs> but uh when i first built it i put four seats in there four mics ready to go let's have yeah. a rotating cast of guests and now i'm like i don't want any of these people coming to my house there's like a handful of people i trust yeah. you like make the cut early uh <laughs> but, you know like people who like i know some and that i don't believe are gonna come back later and steal my child from me you know yeah I mean? yeah no i totally get it man everyone's Especially now, like if anybody really wants to get to you, they can just go on the internet and right. find where you live. That's not that hard to do. I don't encourage anyone to do that. Please don't do that. Yeah. But it can be done very easily. So it's you got to be protective of your stuff. Can, okay. can I ask some questions about this room before we... Yeah, yeah. Let's talk Is about this, this room. Was this decoration here before? It was here before we moved. Okay. Around. I like yeah. it a lot. I actually like it too. Uh, my wife has wanted to paint over it the okay. entire time we've been here. But... Um, It's actually a topic of conversation because usually it's in the background of all my meetings. Oh, so your desk is normally faced this way. Usually this way, and then the camera's facing back here. Yeah, it's a perfect zoom backdrop. I think that's everybody loves to talk about the mountain backdrop in this room. Yeah, and uh, it clearly was designed for a kid, and that's fine. I like it. (laughs) The other, the other nice thing about zoom or about a backdrop in this house and the. The type of house that it is, is you have like a full wall where I have these, it, it always looks like we're recording in an attic because it used to be an attic and now yeah, it's a bedroom. Yeah. It's definitely a shaped, attic. Yeah. It's got the shape of an attic for yeah. sure. For sure. I do think, uh, we'll talk off the pod, but I think it's kind of podcast studios going in the garage with some air conditioning in the garage. So, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, it's going to, I think it's happening. The move of the podcast studio has been a long running topic. Yes. So we'll see yes. where it ends up. Okay. Let's set the show. It could end up in federal uh, way. We never right. know. If you've uh, stayed through this extended <laughs> intro, thank you. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Again, it's another big week in sports, mm-hmm. the, especially in golf, the golf world. Yes. Uh, the live tour and the PGA tour have merged kind of, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Isaiah Rogers is being investigated for gambling. Now this is a, this is a trend in the NFL yes. these days. Yes. Uh, all these guys seem to be getting into gambling, but they don't know that they are not supposed to do that. Yes. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> So we'll talk about that. Uh, Madden is being released. Josh Allen's on the cover. We'll touch on that. Um, we've got a pitcher, another a big name pitcher. We got Tommy John surgery, and uh, will be lost for quite some time. And uh, we have to we have to touch on some passings. There is one significant passing yes. in the sports world this week. It actually sports just, slash comedy world, by the way. Yes, I would I would agree that he is he is both those things. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we got some local topics, of course. The Mariners always keep us busy, and then we got to finish up with our home run game. I think I actually have a good one for you today. I don't know if it's going to be 
easy or tough for sure. you, but uh, on the theme of former Mariners, I found a good Got former it. Mariner, I feel like. All right. Well, I have. Uh, we have, by the way, we have a, a tally that we'll talk about when the time comes. We have a tally where the score is at, and... Uh, Boy, last week was crushing. Uh, we might have to. Turn, we don't. We don't. We don't actually have the spreadsheet, but we've got a, a loyal listener. Maybe, maybe my biggest fan, including my wife, uh, in that category, has um, has compiled the numbers and has also, by the way, in his honor, I am giving you. I'm going to challenge you with his suggestion for the home run game. Okay. Yeah, I've been getting some suggestions for the home run game as well. Listen, stop crowdsourcing the for the fucking champion, okay? Uh, Folks, stop it. You don't need I, to crowdsource for Alex, okay? People like the home run game, man. Like, yeah, people good. really like the home run game. It was game. smart of us to put it at the very end. So. It, it is good. <laughs> I it's wonder the, how many people fast forward. The people who actually listen to this podcast yeah. and manage to stick through to the home run game, thank you. Yes, that's uh, you you're are a, you're a heroic person. You are the one percent, and we appreciate yep. it. And then we have one uh, local debate to talk about, by the way, which oh, okay. I did put together in in old school, as though I was about to write a blog post about it. Form wow, but without the burden of having to write a blog post, edit a <laughs> blog post, receive criticism from people who know nothing on a blog post. Yeah, I've uh, compiled some information to to wage an argument for. Uh, for some stuff about the Mariners, basically. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll get to that. All right. Um, what do you got going on this week? You've got, uh, I know you got some shows coming up. I do, I do have some shows. I actually have a couple of weeks. Uh, well, so I don't know. It's possible. So the new Tacoma Comedy Club opened last weekend and yeah. I was, I did a guest spot the first show. Uh, embarrassingly, I asked for 10 minutes because I thought I could fit this chunk of material I'm working on into 10 minutes. Oh, boy. Uh, there's no light in the club right now to like tell you when to get off stage. Um, I didn't see people showing me their cell phones. I did 14 <laughs> minutes. I looked down at my clock. Okay, that's I, not so bad. I timed myself on stage. I looked down at my clock at 6.30. And I was like, I think I'm at the point in the joke where I can fit it all into the next three and a half minutes. Dead wrong. Seven minutes later, I get off stage. Yeah. Yeah. Very embarrassing. I was getting shit for it all night. And I'm very, I'm a person who's like very, very diligent about doing my time get filling my time and also right. not overdoing it so sure, sure. So, so this is to me like a huge blow to my ego you did go 40 percent over yes yeah that's, that's a significant amount yeah in minutes wise four minutes doesn't seem so bad right but when it's 40 percent yes well and also it's like the, the host did like 12 ish i did 14 the feature is doing 25, and then the headliner is a guy who's working on a bunch of new material, Colin Moulton. He's uh, he's not the headliner this week, but last weekend. Yeah. He uh, was doing like 60-plus. Oh, wow. And it's day one of the club. There's challenges that any new business faces when they open, right? Sure. And And uh, they're also um, – I mean, it's hot – there's a lot of people in this small space. You're really of, selling me on the show that I'm coming to. <laughs> there's, all these things will be ironed out. And in fact, yeah, I yeah. did a show there the next night, and most of the stuff was ironed out right. by the next show. Like yeah. it's just. In fact, I actually worked at the Fort Wayne Club that the same company opened yeah. on opening weekend, and this was a significantly smoother opening. It's gonna be great by the time you get there, but. There's all this stuff going on, and I took up five extra minutes. I forced wow. people to essentially stay 
in that setting for five extra minutes. It Did was, the show end up going long? Then I assume. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't all me, but yes, sure. the show. See, I don't mind as a, as a as an audience member. Yeah, everyone would appreciate that. I th- I think. I mean, there's some people who want to get in and out. I'm sure. sure From but. the club's perspective, a lot of times, well, especially if the headliner goes long, they will do last call at some point in the headliner set. Right. So then every moment after that, the club's not making any more money. Right. And so that's like that's one of the the gripes with it. It's also just like it was uncourteous. I fucked up. I feel I felt bad about it. I also like I was doing well, but it wasn't. I I was like. I had, they actually offered me seven and they were like, unless you have something you want to work on. And I was like, yeah, if I could do 10, I would love that. And then <laughs> I did double the time you I was double offered. the offer. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, that's how you take, that's yeah. how you take from these people. So June 25th though, I have a, a couple shows in, uh, I have a show at an arcade in Des Moines on Thursday. Wow. Okay, um, cool. And then a place in. I think it's called Hannah's in Olympia on Monday and then a Spud's Pizza in Tacoma on Tuesday. It's a run of shows with this thing called the Open Mic Collective. Okay. And I'm closing out all these shows uh, and I will be testing some new material and bombing it almost certainly. Testing is, uh, well, you got to test in certain places and what better yeah. place than an arcade, yes. you know? <laughs> People <laughs> should generally be happy there, I would think. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And then, and they do shows, I think, weekly or monthly. Some of them, I think these are all weekly, and then I'm doing another one of their shows in August that's monthly. Okay. Um, and then June 25th, uh, sorry, June 16th, I'm opening for uh, Josh Blue at the Capitol Theater in Olympia, which is a 1,500-seat venue. And if it sells out, that'll be the largest crowd I've ever You better been. bring your merch for that one. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I ordered new merch for that one. Yeah, that seems like a big one. Okay, cool. Um, and yeah. then uh, I am... June 16th, also Bickerson's Brew House. I won't be there. I have a cast of uh, Josh Firestein is headlining. Oh, Lynette nice. Manning That's is featuring. One. She's great. And then uh, my buddy Alex Kaufman, who's past podcast guest of this po- or of uh, my podcast, Nobody Likes Casey McClain, not this podcast. Yeah. You'll never be on this. Alex Kaufman, you'll never be on this we podcast. We already have one Alex. <laughs> we, can't we don't have need to. But um, yeah, that'll be. That's June 16th, also Bickerson's okay. Brew House. Yep. Uh, and then I'm after June 25th. I think I'm done. I'm not going to schedule anything now. Like I won't commit to anything because my wife's due July 13th. Right. We just did the walkthrough of the birthing center yesterday. Like it's all becoming real. I'm remembering everything about being a brand new dad that sucks right now. Like I'm yeah. go. I'm pulling stuff out of the garage and it's like, oh fuck bottles cleaning <laughs> bottles every day like yeah you know yeah just no so i much. mean that's gonna be me in a couple months yes but right now we're going through this process of clearing everything out originally sure. this was going to be our nursery with the nice mountain backdrop here mm-hmm. uh but we ultimately decided this room's a little bit bigger than one of our other guest bedrooms so we're gotcha. gonna move it over there because wow. turns out babies don't need a ton of space they just yeah. need enough to get by do you have uh, plans for how long the baby's gonna sleep in your room um, we don't have any definitive timeline, but we know it'll probably be a few months. Gotcha. You know, that's kind of how it goes. And then we'll just have everything ready for when the yeah. time comes. Um, so yeah, it's just a lot of dude. It's, it's the ultimate housing projects right now. Everything's getting done. Yeah. Very, very long, laborious weekends. That is when you really know you're an adult. I know a lot of people think, you know, you just buy a house and now you're an adult. That's like step one. Sure. Step two is when you decide you're going to bring 
young people into it, children into it. it then is, all of a sudden, it, you kick it up a notch. It definitely blasts forward your adulthood. And it also, the stakes of everything increase. I totally get it. I, you know, the other thing I don't know is like how you could possibly have a kid and live in like a one bedroom apartment. Oh, Boy, dude. that would be, that would be, I, I don't envy anybody in that position. This, the, um, when you have a kid, I think you'll probably both go through this, but you think about how many mostly women raise a brand new child on their own. Oh yeah. Dude, and single it, parents, man. And in like, oftentimes in like New York or LA or very expensive cities to live in where, yeah, you're like living in a studio or one bedroom apartment and you're like, I just don't even know. I, I don't know how you could have a job. I don't know how you could work. I don't know how you could have a life. I don't know what, like everything would be incredibly difficult because very often those people aren't like super affluent. You know, occasionally there's like a girl boss that goes to a, intentionally goes yeah. to a sperm yeah. bank and becomes a parent on her own. That's rarely the reason people become single parents. Right. And most of the time the circumstances are difficult and I just can't imagine going through it. I could I could not do it myself. No, I, I don't. I, I would give up my even, child. I would send her... <laughs> She would go fight in Ukraine. If... Or you put into work real quick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're going to need right. money out of you right away. Now, child Right actor. now, right yeah. now. Uh, yeah, so we're just getting ready for that, man. It's uh, a couple months away now, but All it right. feels like it's getting closer every day. I mean, every time I get high now <laughs> and have an edible, I'm like, getting close. This might be one of the last times. Dude. And then I start thinking about what it'll be like. Okay, this <laughs> The problem is, anytime I have an edible, I immediately start thinking about how crazy it's going to be to have a child. Have we explained? We know you have a crippling alcohol addiction, but we've explained. <laughs> have we explained your drug addiction on this podcast? <laughs> your, your horrifying uh, drug the, addiction. The uh, the two things I like to do are occasionally have a glass of sparkling wine, you, and then occasionally have an edible. Yes. Well, also, and, uh, by the way, we also have. Like measured this podcast and bottles of whiskey consumed. So that's true. We've really slowed down. We we I went know. really hard out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, we were doing them at night. That and helped. also, I have this thing now that I'm sure you'll have, and you're saying it. I think with the edible thing, where it's like every night when I get like anytime I reach the point where I'm like I probably shouldn't be driving. Like on the first night of Tacoma Comedy Club, I. Uh, of the new Tacoma Comedy Club. I left my car behind the club how, with their how permission. F- how far are you from the new location? About, you know, it's like two miles. Okay, it's far enough. I was going to say, like, I, I, I generally have an idea of that neighborhood, but I wasn't sure. sure if it was close where, like, you could walk. I mean, I, you could walk if you had to, but yeah, why would you? Yeah, I, I would. So, one, I had, like, a bunch of camera stuff that I didn't want to walk with. Two, um, I will walk it at some point. I like, I don't mind walking. I walk more than you would expect for someone of my size. You know, there's a great Louis CK joke where he's like, I run five miles every other day just to maintain this shit body. And that's why I'll walk a lot of places, but it was like, you know, midnight and I'm, I need to wake up early in the morning and all that. Yeah. And I know, I mean, that's kind of a bar district walking around. I guess there's well, probably a, a lot of people out where there. Where this is though, is like a little out of the bar district. Okay. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, I mean, it's too, like I lived. Uh, uh, nondescript uh, distance from the bar district. I live, you know, within. Uh, we've talked between, about how you can between hear zero and twenty-five miles from the bar district. Okay, yeah, we've talked about I'll how give we it hear out Alex, smashing. If, if one of you shows up to my house, I'm giving you Alex's address. Smashing That's the, bottles, yeah, yeah. screaming. You live close enough. 
There was a guy moaning. There was a guy moaning in my neighborhood for like, I don't know. I came out four hours later and he was still doing it. I'm not quite sure. Was it sad moaning or happy moaning? No, it wasn't. It didn't (laughs) seem like there was an ejaculation imminent, you know? If it was, it was building up. Yeah, that's quite, that's quite tantric. Uh, (laughs) But he, uh, anyways, so I take the, I took that Uber home, but when I took it, I was like, oh, what if my wife went into labor like last night or tonight, like right now? I'm, we're going to get in an Uber to go to the hospital, which isn't even that bad of an idea. I might owe the Uber. Uh... <laughs> I thought about that, too. I'm like, well, like while while in the midst of my my edible state. Sure. Uh, I'm like, what if something happened right this minute? See, this is why I can't consume marijuana because I yeah. worry about everything. That's, that would crumble me. It would ruin me. Also, yeah, it just makes you, it just heightens the paranoia yeah. in that moment. So, yes. yeah, not not ideal. All right, uh, let's get into some of these topics. Shall All right. We? Where, where would you like to start today? I think we can start at the Isaiah Rogers thing because I do want to talk about the Live PGA thing, but this, this gambling situation is interesting to me because it's, so the big one last year, Calvin Ridley got suspended for the season. There were three Detroit Lions, including second-year receiver Jamison Williams. As a Jamison Williams fantasy owner, this sure. is terrible, terrible news. And if you know anything about fantasy sports, when a guy gets suspended, that is not the same as him being on injured reserve. Yes. You cannot throw him into your injured reserve. Yeah. We need a suspension spot. Yeah. <laughs> a suspension reserve spot Dude, did, in fantasy sports. Does the team lose a roster spot if they have a player that's suspended? I don't think so. I mean, I think they, they might lose one on like the larger roster, but not like the 53-man game day or anything. I don't know for sure, though. So, um, yeah, so this is just another guy, Isaiah Rogers. Nothing about Isaiah Rogers in particular, but it's it's interesting. To me, the, what my wonder is, so uh, gambling has become much more trackable. It used to be right. you'd have to talk to some bookie that also sells Alex drugs and alcohol <laughs> that's that specializes in edibles and sparkling wine. You'd have to you'd have to talk to a criminal in order to gamble. And so there wasn't a paper trail. There'd be this cash transaction. So my assumption is based on how many of these guys are getting caught because they're leaving a paper trail on something like a uh, FanDuel or something like that. The, this has to just have been going on forever, and we're just now starting to run into these situations because – do you think that? I mean, I know you have some inside information. I assume that the folks that you know don't give you a lot of stuff about, like, who's nah. gambling or if they're gambling. I mean, the the big issue with these gaming, uh, like, crackdowns over the last few, I guess, couple years now – is that, yeah, like you said, I mean, a lot of this is being tracked on their phones now. Right. So it's like they're using some sort of betting app to bet on games, which they're not supposed to do. And that raises all sorts of questions. Like if they're tracking this sort of thing, if they're tracking their gambling on their phone, what else are they possibly tracking that oh, what they maybe think? should or shouldn't? I mean, it's it, it, it's a huge gray area. And of do course, you think that this is because the... NFL is tracking their phones or do you think it's because like there's some anonymous tip or some accidental slip up and they've discovered that these guys are using FanDuel? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think anybody really knows for sure right now. I'm sure sure there's a lot of speculation out there. I mean, these stories are not like incredibly salacious so there's not a ton of like investigation into them. I think if you see more and more of these pop up, maybe there will start to be a little bit more of an investigation, but you know, 
over the last couple months as people have become suspended for this is you know a lot of the rea- the fan reaction is that it's very hypocritical sure the nfl and all these sports leagues are really kind of getting into bed with uh gambling as a whole i mean they're encouraging it you can't watch any sort of game now without seeing tons of gambling ads whether but it's this isn't, this isn't new though like the the uh be- so boxing has a has a history of corruption based on stuff like this about right. like guys throwing fights guys. I mean, actually combat sports. A lot of times the guys do end up placing bets on themselves, which is crazy that that's allowed. Yeah. But it's like that, that as like a, uh, as a conflict of interest being considered a conflict of interest by whatever governing body, the league, the, the promotion, the, the like division of boxing or whatever that that's not new. I think what's new is the like low stakes of this. Yeah, I mean, if you're placing a bet on football and it's a couple hundred bucks and it's not your team or something like right. that, it seems silly that someone should get suspended for that. But, you know, it's kind of like insider trading with stocks. Yeah. It's like even if it's not your team, you certainly know a lot more about the NFL and the teams throughout the league. You probably have friends on some of those teams. You know more than the average sure. person would, and that's going to give you an edge, whether you know it or not. Whether you're, you're conscious of that edge or not, you certainly have it. I actually think the fact that the NFL is in bed with these gambling companies makes it less hypocritical because they're not saying don't gamble, but they're saying don't gamble on this product. We're all making money, more money because of this gambling stuff. And one, don't fuck it up for everyone. But two is the integrity. That stuff becomes a lot less attractive if Tim Donahue or if, if some huge gambling scandal exists. Yeah. And that's like, I, you know, are they hypocritical in one way because they're like they regulate it slightly uh, while also promoting it? Yeah, kind of. But I don't think there's they're not saying don't use FanDuel. They're just saying don't gamble on football. Right. I mean, I think the big issue is that you can't gamble on your own sport. Right. Um, which which we know has always been a thing since right. Pete Rose basically got banned from baseball since you could even go back to 1919 when the Chicago White Sox got banned for betting on the World Series, essentially throwing the World Series. Sure. There, I mean, there is a difference. The, the thing, you know, with the Chicago White Sox scandal of, of 100 or so years ago, they were basically throwing games, right? Pete Rose was often betting on his team to win, which is like, that's much harder to do. In some ways, you're actually kind of doing the gamblers a favor. It, it, well, <laughs> that Well, one, they don't actually know which games you are and are not betting on. Right. But two, like... The, I think that the the impropriety with Pete Rose, people I've heard that argument before, but it's like if he's got a hundred grand on this game, is he gonna all of a sudden start like unloading right. the bullpen? Right, he's gonna manage it. like it's Game Seven of the World right. Series if he's got money riding on. Right, it. absolutely, yeah. So I mean, there is there's always implications with betting on your own sport, and now you kind of have this added wrinkle of like various mobile apps you can use to bet. Now, if these guys had just been like walking into a casino sports book, throwing down a thousand dollars in cash and getting a betting ticket the old school way, they probably don't get tracked. I mean, I guess sure. if somebody there who works there recognizes them and decides to turn them in, right. then certainly they'll get in trouble. But they could just as easily have a friend go in with that cash and bet sure. for them, right? We are and- in a time like in a time of peak tattletaling though. Right. But like, okay, if I'm if I'm an NFL player, you're my buddy, I give you a hundred bucks, I say, 
go to the Emerald Queen Casino and throw it on my team for me. No oh, one's, yeah, no yeah, one's yeah. going to know. No yeah, one's going to know that that money is coming to me ultimately, right? Yeah. Um, so there are ways around this. I mean, if they really want to bet on their own team, they can have someone go right. do it for them. Yeah, and I would assume any real scandal is going to go that way. Like if anyone's right. got the the like wherewithal to create a huge right. conspiracy, yeah. I think that they're going to also not do it on FanDuel or fucking right. BetMGM bet or whatever the, the apps are that these guys are using. Yeah, and I mean, it's naive to think that these guys don't gamble. You know, I've been sure. I've been to casinos before where I've seen pro athletes gambling, usually playing just like table games or whatever, but they're competitors. So, of yeah. course, and they're competitors and they have a lot of money. Of course, they're going to gamble. It's just... I think what makes this difficult and this this space very tough to navigate right now is that these leagues and these teams are probably not doing enough to like educate their players on what they can and cannot do. Like you have right. to be very specific about what you can gamble on, how you can gamble. Like if you want to go play blackjack, that's okay. If you want to go bet on football and you're a football player, that's not okay. Like right. there has to be like more education around this and it almost feels like in some ways they're they're baiting players even though it's it's kind of like i guess the assumption is that people know that you're not supposed to do this but it's clearly not communicated well enough yeah and you know at the same time um even though it is it does sometimes come across a little bit hypocritical that these leagues are cracking down on players when they are in bed with these betting agencies i totally get what you're saying i mean it makes sense that you have to protect the I'd almost bet the that the betting the agencies have this as a rule, as like a condition of the sponsorship, because yeah. they don't want the the league to look corrupt either. Because right. if that product is corrupt, then so I don't think like I think the only people who are getting fucked in this, unfortunately, are the players. Right. But they're also like it's part of the reason why they're making twice as much money as they would have been if like the league had just continued to like in a linear sense progress in revenue, you know? Yeah. I think the thing that really sucks about it is that clearly the education on this subject is not as good as it should be mm-hmm. with these players. And if you're Jamison Williams or if you're Isaiah Rogers, Isaiah Rogers, maybe, you know, a couple notches below a Jamison Williams, Jamison Williams, Calvin Ridley last year, they're going to ultimately be fine. They're right. good enough players that they're going to come back from this. A team is still going to be interested in their services sure. after a year-long suspension. That's not going to be an issue. It's the guys who are getting suspended that are already fringe NFL players that just got roped into going along with their buddy who might right. be a little bit better at the game. Um, it sucks for those guys because they might never play this sport again for something as silly as throwing a few bets down on – a football game and that's where it feels like we have to have i understand like there's no easy way to to police this sort of thing if you're the nfl or any of these sports league there's no easy way to do this but there has to be like some discretion like if you want to suspend jameson williams for a year okay well, he didn't get suspended for a year though oh six games or yes, half there, a there, it does seem like, like there is yeah. some discretion like right. calvin ridley got a year Jameson Williams got six right. games. I think other guy, one of the Lions got a year, and then another yeah. the other guy got less games. If you're if you're if you're like a fringe guy, just can you slap him on the wrist or something? Oh like, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you want like uh, I want like the fringe guys to have a chance. Based, income based suspensions. Almost. <laughs> I don't yeah. Mind well, that. I don't, I don't mind even that. mind income based so much as like talent based. Like you 
If you're the league, you you, you know, run a forty for your fucking. You, <laughs> you know if this player is good enough to bounce back from the. If field. you run a four First, six, you're scot free, dude. It see, it, I mean, it seems doesn't it seem stupid that like this could be a death sentence for certain guys' careers? That seems stupid. I mean, yeah, I do think I think it's stupid, but it's also like the integrity of the game can only take so many hits before it's a death sentence for these partnerships. Yeah, I mean, I think the again, kind this of is getting, also by the way, like I think a good example of why this is important is baseball is struggling and they're talking about moving to Vegas the like the NHL and the and the uh, and the NFL both moved to Vegas it's been great for them like and yeah. and the, the Vegas thing probably with the NFL comes only because there's these years of like embracing gambling yeah embracing gambling is a huge positive financial decision for the NFL and it could be for these other leagues but if the NFL, be, like kind of shows too much corruption it like eventually that money will dry up yeah kind of like the way the nba like partnering with china now it's like daryl morey puts out a tweet that's like slightly critical of the chinese communist party <laughs> and the nba loses a billion dollars and everybody's bending over to take it in the ass from the Chinese government <laughs> in the nba for no reason you know yeah i mean it is uh it's tricky for sure but yeah. I, I think you know like you said it brings being tied to gambling for all of these sports is beneficial to them sure. it makes the games more interesting you know if you are a novice fan and all of a sudden you have money riding on it even if it's just you and me watching a game and we put 10 bucks on each team or something all of a sudden you have a reason to watch it's this so game. much more fun to watch yeah but. start to finish you have a stake in this game that you're going to pay attention to well we talked about me gambling with our mutual friend on the golf course and how that's like i'm not a good golfer but it made that much more exciting. Like it made the back nine. And much you more, won. And that was much better. So also, you made yes. money on yes, top of that. That's true. But like, I'm not the type of person that would ever, I like to gamble in a casino, but I would never gamble on the golf course. Cause I don't believe in my own ability. <laughs> if I was one of these players, I would not be betting on my own. Team. Yeah. I, if I have a putt for $5, I will miss that putt. It doesn't oh, matter. The distance. Absolutely. It absolutely. doesn't matter the amount of money or the distance. Yes. No, I totally get it. All right. So, um, Speaking of morally corrupt, <laughs> <laughs> man, what a freaking story to wake up to this week. You check your phone. I checked my phone and it was like the first notification from yeah. ESPN live and PGA tour merging. And even if you're not like, okay, this story has been kind of going on for a while now. The live tour came about a year ago. Um, but it's more of like a social story than in sure. human interest in some ways than it is about sports. Even if you don't care about golf, this story is huge right now. Yeah. So the, to summarize the uh, Saudi government, and I'm going to summarize it and you can add detail where you'd like to. Yeah. <clears throat> the Saudi government created this golf league. They used this, uh, what is it called? Like the, it's FIP. PIF. I PIF. Think. Yeah. Uh, public. Yeah. Public investment fund. And it's just it's yes, government money. Right. They basically created this like loss leader. They they basically all they did, they didn't make any money. They just challenged the PGA. They just took leverage away from the PGA, who was operating essentially a monopoly with the greatest players in the world. Yeah. Um, and because of that, they there was no like collective bargaining. There was no there was no like reason for the PGA to treat players better, live 
this live golf tour pays these players an exorbitant amount of money. Phil Mickelson, one of the greatest golfers of all time, got a contract that was reportedly like two and a half times his career earnings. One of the most decorated careers in the history of golf. Yeah. <laughs> and he got two and a half times his career earnings. Uh, many of these guys were signing for uh, nine figure deals, which was just insane compared to what and then they would lose sponsorships and it was unpopular because the saudi government has some human rights issues yeah that's putting it nicely sure uh. so first off uh and i, don't, I actually don't i'm not like a big uh 9-11 historian by any means contemporary belief is that the saudi government holds most slash all or i think probably most of the blame for 9-11 yeah um or at least they are the government that holds the most I, obviously like it was conducted by a terrorist group but these in a so i, I guess we'll just say it and then i'll make my <laughs> devil's advocate points later yeah they propped up this terrorist group yes there is a lot of controversy around the saudi government and sure. saudi government yeah, they create this PIF, the Public Investment Fund, as basically a way to, uh, according to what I'm looking at right here, created in 1971 for the purpose of investing funds on behalf of the government of Saudi Arabia. So sure. basically, the government of Saudi Arabia is investing in sports. Sure. And kind of like the criticism of this whole process is that they're basically using golf as a way to kind of put like a positive spin on all the bad shit that they do as a government. Sure. Right. And you know, you can do whatever you want with your money. So they totally have a right to do that. Uh, they made it worth the players while to come be on the live tour. The live tour has been, I think what most would consider an unmitigated disaster. They broadcast games on the CW. Sure. <laughs> no sure. one watches them. They cut out of tournaments. The format for their tournaments is not that fun, as it turns out. There's just a lot that goes on that makes it worse golf. It's kind of like a minor league, but they're playing. They're paying people so much money that why wouldn't they come join this tour? Right. right? They, so, they created this thing, and it's a perfect analogy. You're a... And this got sent to me also with like, it's one of those videos where they put the live logo and the PGA logo on right. like a sitcom characters. <laughs> and when uh, in the office, so I've, I'm taking this from a meme is what I'm saying. The, in the office, Michael Scott leaves Dunder Mifflin, creates the Michael, Michael oh, Scott yes. paper company. Yes. It wasn't that his company was successful, but it was that it was hurting Dunder Mifflin enough that they had to do something. So they basically bought him out. Yeah. And that's and they didn't I don't think this is a buyout, it's a merger. I guess we'll see what the details yeah. are. I've I've seen that comparison a lot. Uh people have used the Michael Scott paper company as a punchline for this entire merger. But sure. the one thing I would say is that they basically reverse the roles. It'd be like if the Michael Scott paper company bought Dunder Mifflin in this case, because what has basically happened is that the live tour comes about a year ago. Everybody thinks, okay, this is gonna be short lived. Um, these players who have defected over to the live tour, uh, are going to pay fines or pay some sort of price to have to get back into the PGA at right. some point. In also, time. there was some idea that many of these players were like washed up past their prime. There was, but initially that was the case. Initially they get Phil Mickelson. They get some sure. of these older players that have had good careers. Phil Mickelson who ties for second at the masters this year. <laughs> yeah. And then Brooks Kapka coming off of an injury 
who wins the was it the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship this year? They whichever yeah. one just happened. I yeah, they, this is the other thing for me is like this is interesting to me. I don't follow professional golf nearly as closely as other sports. I don't either. I mean, I, I follow it a little bit, uh, yeah. and we both like to golf. Yes, but following the sport itself is like unless you are just rooting for one player. Sure. Like, why, why would you necessarily follow the sport? It's not, like, super compelling yeah. most of the time until you have a story like this. So, I mean, this this becomes a big, big story over the past year or so. And, of course, as soon as people find out that the Saudi government is behind this league, behind these exorbitant salaries that they're paying players, everybody has an opinion all of a sudden. Most people here in America. Sure. This is, like, the one thing that has, like, kind of bridged the political divide. Whether you're liberal or conservative, I've heard people on both ends of the spectrum who are upset about the Live Tour because sure. whatever their belief is, whether, again, conservative or liberal, it goes against what the Saudi government stands for. Because yeah. if, you're, if you're a liberal person, you think the moral, the morality of what these people are doing, what these golfers are doing, going and taking what is effectively blood money from this government agency is wrong. And sure. if you're a conservative person, you're saying they are, uh, they're not patriotic, right? Like this is a, like you mentioned earlier, this is a group that, uh, could be seen as at least partially responsible for one of the worst terrorist acts in American history. But, and yeah, now I mean, you outside have, of like Pearl Harbor, it's got to be. Right. And now you have American golfers going and basically working for these people. Sure. Right. Like, so no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, this this sports story has somehow united Americans. <laughs> By the way, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to. Uh, Pearl Harbor was not a terrorist attack. It was a military attack, but it was like outside of Pearl Harbor. Right. The mo or maybe including Pearl Harbor was the most significant attack on U.S. soil since the Revolutionary War. Absolutely. Yes. I, I don't think there's any denying that. So, and, yeah, just from like a historical perspective, this is. Just, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to take into account with this story sure. that just happens to do with golf. So right? there's a bad Bryson DeChambeau. By the way, there's like three players that I like a lot. And Bryson DeChambeau is one of them. But it's the same reasons that I like um, Trevor Bauer. It's not because I like agree with him politically. He's a tinkerer. Yeah. He's an analytics guy. He's like sees the game differently than other people, positive or negative. He does see. I also use, he uses a uh, single length irons, which to me make a ton of sense. And I use single length irons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the clubs that I was using. This, I, is, like when, this is like when I, uh, uh, about a year or two ago, I had the idea to take an inch off my driver. Sure. Uh, I've also and, done this. And when by I the took way. when I took it into the shop, the guy who was like three inches shorter than me was like, "That's too much. You're too tall." I'm like, first of all, this is the first time in my life anyone's ever said I was too tall. Yeah. And second of all, I had done I had looked up online just to see the pros and how long they keep their drivers. Almost every single one of them takes takes some distance yes. or takes some length off their driver. Yes. Uh, or their clubs because they make them for like guys who are like six foot five. <laughs> yeah. I don't want this argument with those people. So I started doing that stuff at home. I did the same thing. I'm a tinkerer. Golf is a game with a limitless tink tinkering, right? Absolutely. And I like, I think he's an interesting guy he, on YouTube. He explains stuff very well. He has this interview with Caitlin Collins who became famous recently in my world anyway, for the town hall she did with Donald Trump. Where I actually like, I don't know, I the, we do this thing, there's this conservative thing that people, it's conservatives that do this where they go, uh, she's so bad at this, or she's just not good at this, or something like that. And it's like, I mean, she's reached like the pinnacle of her field. This is what, it, it, it bothers me too when people are like, Donald Trump is stupid, Joe Biden is stupid. I'm like, 
you may disagree with them, but these are not stupid men. Like these guys have ascended to the become the leader of the free world. Yeah, they've, I they've mean, done something that's somewhat intelligent. This is this is how society works now. It's if you see something that opposes your viewpoint. In this case, Caitlin Collins is a CNN anchor. So right. if you are on a certain side of the political spectrum, CNN is your enemy. But the, and, and like what you just said with like Biden and Trump, if you see either one of those as opposing you, you just immediately resort to the name calling. Yeah. Even if you know, like even in the back of your mind, you know that you're wrong for it. The, the way we deal with our problems now is to just immediately resort to, to hitting below the belt. Right? What I will say I like about Caitlin Collins and Bryson DeChambeau is that liberals and conservatives hated Caitlin Collins. <laughs> and and similarly, like, I think DeChambeau is a thorn in the side of everybody. Yeah. And I, I like that because to me, I trust those people. I believe that they're doing like what they actually mean. There was someone else that I was going to talk to you about like this that's like, Oh, it was, uh, you know, Mike Pence came out as like, they were like, would you ban abortion? And he's like, of course I would. And it's like, yeah, he's honest. Like he's. Well, yeah. I mean, you know that he was going to say. Okay. This, we'll get to this. But he's not wishy-washy. Let's, let's set up what happens here. So at the time we're recording this, it's barely been 24 hours since news of this merger, bro. This is still a really big deal. Also, there's another question here, which is because we didn't bring everything. Are we going to try to somehow capture this interview? No, I think we can just summarize it. I think, um, you know, in the 24 hours since this news is broke or slightly more than that, uh, somehow they've managed to get a ton of microphones in front of (laughs) in front of pro golfers to get their take on what occurred here. Well, I I do think I think there's like they're they're preparing for a tournament, right? Yeah, there's a couple things that have happened. One, it seems evident from most PGA golfers. They had no idea this was going to happen. Um, the general consensus is that the commissioner or the CEO of the PGA, I don't know exactly what his title is, the guy who heads up the PGA, yeah, Jay Monahan, yep. he basically decided he wanted to get his cut of this exorbitant amount of money, sure. and he sold out to, to the Live Tour. He sold out to the Saudis. So he's going to get paid. He's going to sure. be like Roger Goodell, but with golf. He's going to get a ton of money, and he sold out his entire league. That's, what he, that's sure. effectively what he did, according to the PGA golfers who we've heard from already. Uh, but now, of course, they're talking to some of the live golfers like Bryson DeChambeau. So he goes on CNN this morning, and I don't know who signed him up for this, but it was a terrible idea because he walked into a bear trap. Uh, sure. I'm sure going into this, you know, a lot of times when when pro athletes do interviews like this, it's not to say that the questions are totally vetted ahead of time, but there is usually some agreement on what can and cannot be discussed. Right. And in this case, it seems like they didn't ask him about gum disease. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) They they left gum disease off the table. These hard hitting gum disease questions. In this case, they either didn't uh, prepare for these questions ahead of time or CNN went off script. One of of these two things happened because Bryson DeChambeau gets asked about two things that uh, he probably had no idea was coming. He gets asked about nine 11, which is on, Never a good start. Sure. And then he gets asked about uh, the journalist, the American journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, who a couple yep. of years ago was in Saudi Arabia and was murdered, uh, presumably by the Saudi Arabian government. It seems or, like it was by the government. Or I at think that's, the behest of yeah. the government. And uh, yeah. still uh, a hot button issue. Sure. Uh, obviously, anytime you're dealing with the murder of anybody, let alone a, a journalist. Um, so he gets asked about both these things. And. He doesn't really know what to say. He, sure. I'd say he handles it about as well as any pro athlete could handle those types yeah, of questions. Um, but the reaction so far in the aftermath of this interview 
is a lot of people dunking all over Bryson DeChambeau. And again, it seems like I, I have no issue with people being upset with what DeChambeau said and how he answered these questions. He basically kind of poo-poos 9-11 and kind to of... To a degree, yeah. yeah. I think he qualifies it, but yeah, he... he first off, the guy's like 27 years old or something right. like that. And he's a pro athlete. He's not... Yeah, but also... like <laughs> He's not like a news person or a journalist, like... What do you want him to say in right. this situation? I'm going to pull up his age real quick because this is like I do think his age is relevant because right. And I'm going to I'm going to make this point a little bit later, but he is let's see, hold on, he is 29 years old. So he was like seven, he, six or seven years old, or maybe seven, seven or eight, eight years old yeah. when 9/11 happened. Yeah. I was 14. To me, it feels like a very distant memory. I'm sure if you were 18, 21, 30 when that happened, it's like even more significant. We part of part of my problem with this whole like this expectation that the the part of my problem with the painting of the PGA as the good guys and live as the bad guys because first off the US government does like 50 billion dollars of business with Saudi Arabia every year. Also, PGA the PGA has sponsorships with Mercedes, with Volkswagen, with Nike, with these companies that also have these huge human rights concerns. Yeah. Mercedes the Mercedes was building fucking tanks and or building vehicles and and in Nazi Germany. Like these these are part of the reason we're able to accept Mercedes is because that was 80 years ago. Yeah. But it wasn't like it was they just became a sponsor. Yeah. So time does heal some of those wounds in capitalism, whether you like it or not. And this dude is fucking barely remembers 9-11 probably. That, I absolutely agree with that. Two things. First, with one, with respect to this interview itself, I feel like not just Bryson DeChambeau, I'm not giving him a pass here, but I think it's silly sometimes when we ask these types of questions sure. of athletes. What are you expecting from these people? How would you expect a 29-year-old pro athlete who in his everyday life is so distant from an average person's reality that you could ask them what they think about the grocery store down the street and they'll right. probably give you a different answer than what you'd expect. Were, you were the one that was talking about there was a football player that they like asked how much you think a gallon of milk is. And oh, he was like 50 20 bucks. 20, 20 bucks. bucks. Yeah. 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 They, their perception of reality is different than ours. And sure. of course, to the average person, that means it's bad, right? Sure. Like that their perception of reality is bad. And it's like, you can think that you can think it's bad, but a lot of times these guys are naive. And again, I'm not trying to give them a free pass. They kind of have to get themselves to our level, but the sure. way that they go about in their lives being pro athletes makes it harder to do that. Yep. It does because you are so focused to get to the top of your profession of whatever it is, uh, whether it's sports or otherwise, you're often so focused on whatever that thing is that you just don't have the capacity to pay attention to what might be going on in the world around you. And again, a lot of people are going to say that's that person's fault. And right. I, I agree to some degree. So uh, like, I think if you go into this interview, you got to be prepared to have answers for that. I think the answers he gave are political scripted answers, which what do you, I mean, what do you want him to say or do that? They probably didn't want him to do this interview, like <laughs> you said, but also I think the thing is we're all the star of our own movie, but 
we rarely get put in front of cameras, right? Like yeah. you and I have a camera on us right now yeah. that we are aware of. But most people like comedians, they think the rest of the world cares about comedy and knows about comedy so much more than they actually do. The day job you have, people view these things happening at your company, these interpolitical shit. I'm not saying this about your company in particular. I'm assuming based on companies I've worked at in the past. I can't even remember the name of the company you work for. But <laughs> they, the, uh, they, they, they believe – I worked at a box factory and it was like people's lives were so compartmentalized that they're like – this thing happening at this box factory is the greatest injustice in my life. And it's like, <laughs> fine, kind of, but it's also, yeah. you know, people are being murdered in Yemen on a daily basis and we're supposed to like, and also the other thing is like the PGA is full of a bunch of fucking old racist white guys. And our government is also taking part in horrific atrocities yeah, through, yeah. for centuries or for and, decades at least. And know? that's where, kind of where I wanted to go next. I mean, I think to kind of summarize, like we need to have maybe lower expectations when we stick a, sure. a camera and a microphone in front of a, an athlete and ask yeah. them very serious questions that frankly, based on their age, their profession, what they do every day, they might not have the best answers for because that's not like, they want to make if, bad guys. If somebody came up to you on the street and asked you about 9-11 out of the blue, you might not have a great answer for sure. that. You know, even though we all agree it's very bad. Yes, like, I, and, and, and I get it. Sometimes you just want these guys to say that. Sure. But they're trying to find the right way to to they're trying to find the right way around it. And again, it's just silly to expect pro athletes. Sometimes I know that a lot of times they want to be more than the guy who just dribbles the ball or throws the ball or whatever. But the reality is they're not often that, and that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with them being that. Sure. Um, So it's silly to expect perfect answers for these. It's also silly to expect perfect morality from, from for profit institutions. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's where I want to go next, because I think, the reaction when the live tour was first created, uh, a lot of moral righteousness from people. And I get it. A lot of people said you can't get into bed with the Saudi government because of all the bad things they've done that we've talked about. Right. Um, but I think for a lot of people, a lot of people who were very upset about the live tour existing were big golf fans. And the pervasive thought that I had is that they were upset because their perception of their sport was being tarnished by this competitive entity, sure. right? Regardless of the, the morality of the competitive entity, just the fact that the competitive entity came into existence pissed them off, right? right. Now golf is going to suffer. Now the golf that I love is going to suffer because of this thing. And it just so happens that this thing is uh, an easy target for um, the political you know, controversy, right? Sure. So it became a lot of moral righteousness in the wake of the live tour. And obviously this merger in the past couple of days has now reignited those discussions. Yeah. Well, and it's also identified mad. the hypocrisy that like the PGA was never some moral entity. No. Uh, they were just, they were just also capitalists. The also, I will say one thing when the, the quotes from Phil Mickelson's autobiography got leaked where he said like, these are bad motherfuckers. Yeah. That's or scary motherfuckers or whatever. That you, it took away the innocence of. Oh, we didn't actually realize how bad they were. Like they knew, the guy knew the 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 main guy that they that the first guy that first I almost knocked your whole desk, almost crumbled the whole desk by bumping my knee to it one time. God, I gotta lose weight. Uh, 
but the the like the guy, the controversial guy, the guy that was already a heel in golf in a lot of cases. Right. He acknowledged that people don't like these guys, and I know it, and we're still gonna make this decision. Which is actually, I actually respect that a lot more than like the, I mean, I don't think they would, if if that didn't get leaked, I don't know that he would have ever admitted to knowing everything that he does yeah. know. No, I think a lot of the expectation people have for these guys who have gotten into bed with the Live Tour is that you just want them to be forthright about their intentions. Sure. Right? There's so many, so many of these guys have talking points that kind of dismiss accountability for what they've done. If somebody just comes out and says, I joined this tour because it's going to give me more money than I've ever had in my life. And it's going to set me up forever. It's going to set my family up forever. Future generations of my family forever. Yeah. That's why I did this. I think a lot of people would be like, all right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's fine. I guess I would have done something well, similar. Maybe I think there's a lot of people who'd be like, yeah, but what about the families, your family set up, but what about the families of people who lost people in nine 11? And I fully respect that. It's not to take away from nine 11. In fact, I do think that the Saudi government is like a, a, they're a stain on the earth. But I think that when you leave America, when you talk to people from outside of America, the U.S. government is not viewed as this like righteous, you know, entity that is is creating peace in the world. I mean, I in a lot of places we're probably on the same level, of course, as the of course. Saudis to people outside of the U.S. Sure, and that's you know, a lot of people say. People that went to the live tour who took this money, they're taking blood money. And yep. my argument would be that all money is blood money when you get right down to it. Right. Sure. Like we we think if it originates in America, then it's OK. Right. If your company is from here and they're the one giving you your paycheck, then it's OK. And it's like, man, when you get up to the top of those companies, all you got to do is watch a show like Succession on HBO. And you'll see that even the people with the money in America are not exactly great people right. you know there there's there's just a reality that we're we often try to make ourselves naive to in some ways it's hard to become an employee of any company without bending your morality to some degree absolutely and then yeah. as the incentives get larger and these guys many of them are very wealthy but not all of them like some of the guys that are in the in the live tour were not like top level pga golfers yeah. these are guys that maybe this is their only opportunity it's the you know, it's it, my thing with this. It's it's common in all sports, which is that fans have a hard time understanding that almost all of them are should relate with the players who are labor instead of the owners who are management. Right. And in this case, it's like you're defending the PGA. You should like to me the PGA could have avoided this by being more generous to their players to yeah. making the like stop like make the product more interesting for the consumers all that stuff get rid of the like this like stuffy image that golf rightly has make younger people like it by making younger people like it not by like holding a monopoly and going like it or watch or don't watch golf yeah, I mean, I think if there's anyone who you can feel sorry for in this situation, it's like the average PGA golfer, right? And golf sure. especially. Golf is one of those sports where unlike most of our pro sports, you know, in football, basketball, baseball, you're paying players in 
obviously to, to their performance to some degree, but a lot of times you're handing out contracts to guys who don't deserve it or they don't live sure. up to the money, right? In golf, more than any other sport, you're getting paid for performance. You are yeah. literally competing for your paycheck every week with the people you play against. Not only are you competing for your paycheck, but you're investing money every week. To, right, to, you're paying to play, yeah. basically. So golf, more than any other sport, you should be siding with the players over the league. Sure. You know, the the head of the PGA decided to sell out. He's going to get a ton of money, I'm sure, from the Saudi government for sure. doing this. The problem, if you are a golf fan now, or even just a sports fan in general, or even just somebody who cares about social morality, is that the Saudi Arabian government basically owns all of golf. I know sure. it'll get, it'll of course get phrased differently, but sure. the reality is the live tour basically bought the PGA, which means the Saudi government basically bought all of the golf leagues in the world, the pro go the major sure. pro golf leagues. So that in and of itself, now you've just created a different monopoly. Previously there was an American monopoly, you could say, with the PGA. Sure. Now there's a Saudi monopoly on golf. And so we're kind of back to square one, except ownership. There's been a transfer of ownership. Sure. That's about it. One, one uh, before we move on, because I don't think we should, because we're a, an hour and seven minutes into this. Um, oh, did I lose it? I think I might have lost my thought. I might have just blurted out when I think of it later. Okay, that's fine. The, the one thing I'll just say at the end of this is that the PGA golfers, they learned. I know what it was. Okay, go ahead. The guys that got fucked the hardest are the guys who were on the fringe of the modern PGA because the fringe dropped. It went lower yeah. Yeah. because there were these whatever 54 golf, whoever, whatever amount of golfers in the live tour that were all ranked ahead of those guys. And these guys had the aspirations. Yeah. They probably invested money in them, in their training and the, in these tournaments, qualifying tournaments they're playing that now they're like, well, now the, the carrot got it's much further away than it was a day ago, kind yeah. of like, but I'll say that, and I'll say this about, uh, to relate it to comedy, which I would obnoxiously do about almost anything <laughs> is, uh, there was a new club that opened in Tacoma a couple years ago, super funny comedy club. They've never booked me on one show ever. Uh, now I, of course, am I bitter about that? Of course I am. I'm a fucking <laughs> egomaniac, but I, I'm, I still want the club to exist. I want them to succeed because the more spots there are, the more spots I get. Yeah. More opportunity. It, right. It means that like, I've, I've always put it like the, cause comics will, comics are inherently like insecure and all that. There's like six local comedian spots every weekend in the Seattle Tacoma area with them open. There's eight, eight is not a lot. There's like 500 people trying to do comedy in Seattle. Eight of us get to do it every Friday and Saturday. And, uh, on like a paid club show. Yeah. So the fact that there's eight means that there's like, maybe I'll get one more gig a year, two more gigs a year because somebody else is doing these other, you know, these eight gigs yeah, uh, more often or whatever, or at this other place. So it's the, the more spaces there were was good for the people at the bottom end. Yeah. And that this could potentially, we don't actually know the structure though. Those guys could actually well, still benefit. No, I think you're right. I mean, the guys who were kind of poised to become the new faces of the PGA Sure. Are now back to where they were in the pecking order before sure. the. But Lyft I'm even talking existed. about the guys who are like at the the very bottom, the, the like at the fringe of even being in the league, not the fringe of being yeah. famous, but even of the fringe of being part of the PGA. Right, guys who were just barely making it into these tournaments in the first place. Right now, might be knocked out of these tournaments yeah. again because who knows what this structure is going to look like. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the the thing it seems like they learned, and this is 
something we all learn at various points in life, regardless of your profession, is that at the end of the day, no matter how often you're told by your employer that they care about you, that we're a family, <laughs> your employer doesn't, they care well, about really the money. I really my heartstrings right now. They care about the money more than they care about you. Yeah. That's the society we live in. It's a capitalistic society. That is the reality of the world we are a part of. And these PGA golfers learned that the hard way yesterday, as many of us often do sure. when we're working. And it sucks to have, you know, I'm sure for a lot of these guys who have never had a real job, you know, outside of playing golf, they, this is blindsiding to them. Yeah. And it's blindsided to all of us once you realize that. But, but when you realize it, then you can kind of shift your approach. You, yeah. you understand that like, hey, we're all in it to make money, myself included. And at the end of the day, you got to look out for yourself. And that's ultimately what the PGA commissioner did. And it sucks yeah. for the guys that um, that trusted him. You know, it sucks for those guys because they trusted this guy to do right by them. And he did not. He did right by himself. Yep. So, yeah. Tough should one. we should we lightning round these last couple national topics? Let's do it. Let's hit them quick. All right. So the first one is, well, we'll do the, the first one I want to say is the Iron Sheik. Professional wrestler died. Yeah, who I only years old. know. I only know him as a Twitter personality. Yeah, well, I was not a wrestling fan. I wasn't that. a wrestling fan either, but I know he spent a lot of time at the comedy store in uh, Los Angeles. I, what I will miss the most because I know he was a heel in wrestling, and I have respect for wrestling. But I'm like, is you know, since the like the Stone Cold, The Rock era is the only era of wrestling I really loved. Right. He was not a big figure in wrestling at that time. Uh, yes, the, him eulogizing people online was always like, first off, it was insane, all caps, but it was always very like sweet and nice yeah, and like obviously genuine, obviously genuine because it was insane every time. And, uh, that is sad. 81 years old. I mean, by the way though, 81 years old, a a long time wrestler, that's not by a wrestling, common story you hear. By wrestling standards, 81 years old. I mean, by anybody's standards, 81 sure. years old is a life well lived in most cases, but especially for a professional wrestler mm-hmm. who you hear so many of these guys passing away at a very young age. So the fact that he made it to 81 is awesome. Yeah, I mean, this guy, I didn't know a ton about him growing up as a wrestler, but in recent years, his nephews basically started a Twitter account for him that he obviously co-sponsored in some ways. I'm sure a lot of the stuff that was tweeted out was on his behalf as opposed to direct from him. Sure. But, uh, you know, they basically reinvented him as an online personality. And it was a personality, as you mentioned, that resonated with a lot of people. Also a guy, by the way, like not to to belabor this Middle East. He was an Iranian wrestler in the 80s and 90s, which is like... Kind of groundbreaking. It's you know. Yeah. They, by the way, they did a lot of stuff that he probably just was hated. Still, like the- oh, I'm sure. I mean, the the old school wrestling days. Anyone who was an ethnic wrestler was often a heel. Yeah, and there was very very racial stereotypical. Tropes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, that were assigned to them. But but you're right though. I mean, that's still 
in and of itself is still groundbreaking in some ways for sure. And then, so Josh Allen is on the Madden cover. I've bought Madden almost every year since 2001 when Eddie George was on the cover, I believe. Eddie either, jo- I had the Eddie George one. Yeah. I had a three year gap. And then other than that, I've bought Madden every year. It's the only game I play on a regular basis. Uh, I used to, I, I have not, I sold an Xbox 360 in like 2011. And mm-hmm. I've had no game. I've had, you know, we've had little gaming consoles, but nothing like that ever since. The, the, but new, I used, I used the newest to one's PS5, right? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I've, I have the PS4 that I bought. Like, I bought it basically just to play Grand Theft Auto and Madden. And then I put it away for about yeah. three years. That's why I stopped buying them. Yeah. And then when the pandemic started, I hooked it back up. And it was like like a anti-anxiety medication for me yeah. to just like sit and go like, well, I can't do shit. I'm not working. <laughs> I can't leave my house. Nothing's open. The world is ending. I guess I'll rebuild the Seahawks. Like I don't know. <laughs> uh, so now, but now, I mean, I'll, what ends up happening is I'm sure I'll buy this game. I will have a new child, so it will get planted back in my living room, and it'll be the thing where when my new daughter is is crying or won't go to sleep, that I use to to soothe my own anxiety to keep myself from throwing her out the window. So. Thank you, Josh Allen, for uh, for gracing the cover of a life-saving device for my children. And also, if you hate the Bills, this is great news. Yeah. Because the Madden curse should really impact Josh Allen this year. No, it's funny because I used to play, I only used to play Madden and Grand Theft Auto as well. Oh, yeah. yeah but I kind of quit around the Vice City days. or I, would, I probably took Vice City far too long. I played it many times, beat the game, yeah. kept going. It was just fun. It it's confusing to game. me now because I bought the, I think it's San Andreas is the most, or Grand Theft Auto Five. They've had a few iterations since then. But it's yeah. like, yeah, it just like keeps, I'm like, is this a new game or is this like an expansion pack? Because I didn't even beat the old game. So, and it's also, I have a problem with that game now too, which is my daughter has started to repeat things. Oh no. So the other day <laughs> I was listening to a rap song and it said like, like, fuck you, motherfucker, something like that. And my daughter's like, what's, what does fuck you, motherfucker mean? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. Like, we finally, she somehow filtered out swear words for almost four years. And now it's like every single thing is a point of curiosity. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto is not great for kids. Yeah. <laughs> we can be honest about that. All right. Um, and then the last one, which will lead into our local sports controversy, is Jacob DeGrom, recent signee of the Texas Rangers is getting Tommy John surgery. And I don't want to, I'm only using it as a lead in. DeGrom has been kind of, he's been like one of the best pitchers in baseball for years, but there's been these kind of warning signs about his eventual, this Tommy John surgery now though, like this is like something you can almost prescribe to a guy in three years, you're going to need Tommy John surgery. There's, Oh, I mean, Tommy John surgery, like if, if it was this was as pervasive now as it was back in when we were playing baseball in high school, yeah. we probably both would have had Tommy John surgery. Dude, I, I there was a guy that I went to high school with who who got it as like a yes, you have a little bit of ligament damage. Yeah, this will increase your velocity to fix this. Like you don't even have a a tear. Yeah, you just have some wear and tear. Yeah, and that was like to me the it was seemed crazy. I read uh, there's a book by Keith Law, I believe, called The Arm, but it's all about Tommy John surgeries. And it's the Tommy John surgeries, one of the things about it is they're not like permanent fixes, right? Like No, you can have repeated Tommy John and surgeries. And then the success yes. rate goes down considerably as you – it was got Todd Coffee maybe. They talked about he had – so he had – 
I think two Tommy John surgeries, and then he had a third one. I think it was him. It was the, the it was a, a pitcher, but uh, the what they do is <laughs> to really ruin everyone's time listening to this. They <laughs> drill holes into your elbow, and then they weave the, your this ligament that they get from somewhere through the that. So his he had had it, the surgery three times. The bone, there wasn't enough bone left, and it ripped, it like broke the bone. Sounds wonderful. So, one, Jacob DeGrom will be fine. He's like the beginning of a contract, but he's in his 30s. He's going to be what he's going to be. That's not really what I want to talk about. What I really want to talk about (laughs) is, because this is the... DeGrom, really quick, DeGrom is 34. As you mentioned, he's... He's kind of been injury prone the last couple of years. So this this is one of those things that when you're 34 and you've had some warning signs, like to say that it'll just come back at age presumably 35 and be the same guy is assuming a lot. Well, yeah. I mean, I think he's like, he probably isn't going to come back and be the same guy. My point is, is like this was basically you could have expected this to be the case. Yes. And it's not like the range. No one should feel sorry for the Texas Rangers. If you want to feel sorry for Jacob deGrom, absolutely. He's also, for I think, the, in the team, first year of a five-year contract. Yeah. his so. t- He's playing for... Making well, live golf money. <laughs> he's basically playing for the best team in baseball right now. They just beat the doors off the Mariners in a three-game series. Swept brutal. them, but it was... No doubter. Yeah. Uh, they kick their ass. So, yeah, the Rangers hardly need this guy at the moment. They, Although, who knows, if they don't make it to the World Series or they get to the World Series and lose, you could always make the argument that it would have helped to have an ace. Yeah. Which they don't right now. Okay. So there's this controversy in Seattle about the offseason, about the Mariners not spending. There's this, like, age-old – and I, I think I'm going to let you give me, like, the kind of – cliff notes on the the present day controversy but this is like a a constant mid-market argument it's not just a seattle thing it's a mid-market baseball team thing where the fans always want the team to spend more money most fans fine don't have a perfect understanding of major league baseball finances i acknowledge that but not not even to say that i do yeah but the uh the it's like this is a constant thing the team is cheap. The team doesn't care about winning. So can you explain this offseason for the Mariners and what they needed, what they didn't do, and then I'm going to tell you why I disagree why with Why I'm this. wrong? No, no. I mean, I, I don't... I, this I think, feels like a trap. It's not a trap. It's not a trap for you. I just... I, just, I, I think like... And, and I, I'll, I'll be... I'm, you will have probably some critiques of the methodology. So Okay. Well, the Mariners are especially complicated sure. because the perception is ownership is cheap, Yeah, which I don't 100% agree with. Sure. But they're bad at spending money. When they do spend money, they're often overpaying for a guy like Robinson Cano because it's tough to get free agents to come to Seattle. That is a reality. I know it's no, it's, it's like an unspoken reality. And sure. I think we've talked about this before a little bit on this podcast. There are numerous reasons why one, the travel from here sucks. So if you are a player that doesn't want to spend a lot of time on the road, you know, Seattle's about as far away from all the other major league cities as possible. There's no opponent that's very close to us. You're always going to be a 90 minute plane ride away at least right yeah. from your nearest opponent. Uh, on top of that, there's just not a lot of baseball players that live here. So, you know, if you're like a California team, there's a lot of guys that grew up in California that would want to go back and play there or same with the East coast. Right. So, 
um, far from home, far from other teams. We can get in. We don't need to get into the politics, but there is a political element. I think there's a lot. Yeah, that's baseball. There's a lot of players. The majority of baseball, as we've talked about in the past, conservative. Sure. Seattle and the Pacific Northwest certainly does not have that perception. Whether you think there are pockets, of course, but sure. the perception outside of this area is that it's very liberal here. So, you know, it could be tough to get someone to want to come here for numerous reasons. So you have to overpay for these guys. So the history of the Seattle Mariners when it comes to free agency, just not very good at it. This year in particular, there was a lot of big name bats out there that they they could have signed and they did not. For well, any, the, any, that they could have is. But I think kind of. I mean, of they like, could have in that anyone could have, right? Sure. Any, any, like when you have a lot of free agents that fill positions of need for your team and you fail to sign any of them, right. that looks bad, regardless of the reasons. Even if you tried your hardest to get them here, even if you offered them more than what they're worth or what they eventually signed for, sure. the fact that you didn't close the deal to get them here reflects badly. Yeah. On, on to your fan base. And so fans are upset because they only they only brought in a couple acquisitions. They were middling acquisitions. Got, they've already released one of the guys. They already released Tommy LaStella, who they acquired, um, who they, you know, kind of half-heartedly said would be the Mariners everyday-ish DH. Sure. He was gone a month into the season, right? They bring in a second baseman and Colton yep. Wong via trade who has been – who's making $10 million, who's already been displaced as a starter. Um, they bring in an aging AJ Pollock with the intention of platooning him in left field with Go back with the platoon, <laughs> Jared the, the Kelnick odd pronunciation. Yes. And in reality, Jared Kelnick wins that job outright, wins an everyday spot. Pollock basically never plays. Sure. All the guys they brought in did very little to improve a team that had high hopes from last year. After Teoscar Hernandez has had stretches. Teoscar Hernandez, they acquire via trade. They bring him in to replace Mitch Hanniger in right field. Uh, you could basically call that a wash. Sure. Hanniger was probably a better player on an everyday basis, but he's rarely available because of injuries. Whereas Teoscar, his numbers might be a little less by comparison, but he's available every day, which goes a long ways. And in, uh, in fact, I don't know if this has changed, but a couple days ago he was like one of two Mariner position players to have appeared in every single game mm. so far this year. So he's clearly, as a veteran, you know, entrenched himself in this lineup. He's probably the one guy that they've brought in that has already kind of paid dividends. I know he's sure. he's underperformed um, to his career numbers, but he's he's been dependable, and that, that yeah, counts and for different something. ballpark, all the shit like the right. career numbers. Dependability matters in baseball these days too. I think that's yeah. a real issue. So they just didn't improve the way fans would expect them to, and they're kind of paying the price right now. Of course, they were only two months into the season, so there's still time. They could turn it around. Um, but a lot of these teams like the Rangers, as we just mentioned, have kind of surpassed them. And, uh, they did so by making improvements where the Mariners did not. Yeah. So now go ahead and tell me why I'm wrong. Okay. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think you're wrong. I just think that this idea that I think one thing you're saying is I completely agree with, which is, I mean, I think you acknowledge that we agree on it is it's hard to get guys to come to Washington, even like sneakily, Washington has no state income tax, which it never gets included in the like Florida has no state income tax. You Texas. always hear about it with Florida. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime yeah. someone goes to play for the Miami Heat, they're like, he only did it right. because he doesn't have to pay any. Well, income in fairness, tax. it makes it's very difficult to come play for the Seattle Supersonics now. Like it's even <laughs> harder than coming to play for the Mariners. But you're right, though. No one ever brings that up yeah. in baseball. It's like that should be a major selling point of every right. free agent pitch. You're going to get. 
immediately like 10% back because yeah. you don't have to pay this tax. It's uh, especially for these horrible conservatives. Uh, they should like the less tax, but it's um, it's isolated. That's a problem. It's uh, there's no like sustained history of winning, especially recently, but like there's no, there's no, like, I don't think there's any prestige. Like you go play for the Yankees for less money because you're like, it's the fucking Yankees. Yeah. The there's Red no Sox. culture here. There's right. no culture whatsoever. Yeah. There, there's no, for the team, not the, not the, right. not the area. Obviously there's a lot of culture outside sure. of the team itself, but the team has never created an identity for themselves. Like the Seahawks are a perfect example of a team that has created a culture and an identity that attracts people to come play for them. Right. And we're in the same geographic area. So how come the Mariners can't do that? Right. Well, and, and, and so the Mariners lose on basically all intangibles, yeah. And they they lose on many of the tangibles, right? Which are distance traveled, uh, uh, the relative willingness to spend. I think like any, and then like you like you even pointed out the Robinson Cano signing was celebrated. I was thrilled about it. I thought it was like kind of a, a shot to take you know one last run at a playoff run with Felix Hernandez. I I, I actually going into that offseason, I wasn't expecting because i believe was that the same was that the pujols fielder cano offseason i don't know if they were the same but they were very close together i yeah. think fielder and pujols were the same one and i remember I, my thought was well cano's off the table but you could maybe take a run at fielder that was everyone thought yeah. they were going to sign prince fielder they didn't yeah um so they have to overpay but they also have to over like 10 years, 240 million, I believe was the Cano deal. Right. And that's like a huge commitment. So I want to, what I put together was the last five world series teams, winners and losers, uh, last five years of world series teams. So 10 teams total, their top five war leaders. Okay. And how they were acquired. And we're not going to go through the whole list, but 10 of them were acquired in free agency. Out of 50, there was eight acquired by trade. 32 of them were homegrown. Yeah. 28 of them were in their first six years. So this is like a big football thing too, right? It's like right. the, Early the rookie contract, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the cheap rookie contract. So like the places these teams are getting this talent from is rarely free agency. By the way, two of those 10 players were acquired in free agency, but they were acquired because they were released as minor leaguers, Justin Turner, Max Muncy. Yeah. So eight of the eight of 50 were acquired. And I think even then you're like, uh, and the trades like Justin Verlander is two of those trade traded guys on this list. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it is very difficult to build a team through free agency. Very difficult to build a team through trades. The way you have to, and the homegrown doesn't necessarily mean they drafted them. I just mean they made their minor league debut with that team. Right. It's the Mariners need to put together a roster that is deep enough before, in my opinion, to, to be like a playoff contender before you start putting the, like these guys are cherries on top, by the way, some recent success last year's Phillies team, Bryce Harper was their fifth leader in war. Yeah. I can see that. One yeah. of the best players in the, like and one a huge of the free prospects, agent. huge free agent, he, the, one them. of the biggest contracts of his time. Uh, JT Realmuto was their number one, which is catchers have a weird thing with war, but 
he was a trade, but a trade before he was a free, eligible for free agency. Yeah, I think the idea of free agents or even like the big expensive trade acquisitions is that that should be the guy or the guys that put you over the top. Right. That take you from what the Mariners were last year, where they're a playoff team that wins a playoff series. Sure. To a team that can contend for the World Series, right? Like that's. They're but the, but, but they're the question the, is: Was last year were the Mariners actually good enough to view themselves as a playoff contender going into this, like a a World Series contender, one guy they, away? They said they were. Well, they they lie all the time. Yeah, but they're, but, they're but if you're gonna say that, fair. Then, that's fair. And, and I think if you go and you win a playoff series with a lot of homegrown talent, right? Yeah. Like the homegrown. I think the Mariners actually might reinforce your point because a lot of the key contributors on this team are homegrown. A lot of the pitching staff, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, yep. uh, those are homegrown guys. Some of the other younger guys they have coming up. Um, Julio Rodriguez, obviously. Jared Kelnick now this year. Kyle Raleigh, who was there last year. Right. These are all homegrown guys. You would agree, I think anyone would agree, that those are part of the nucleus of this team. And I think what the Mariners were looking for, not a guy who's going to lead them in war, because presumably that guy should be Julio Rodriguez, right? If everything's right. clicking the way you would expect. But even a top five guy in war is not that much to, to I think, that's I don't true. think anyone's looking to spend 150 million, $300 million on a guy. That's not going to be in the next couple of years in the team's top five. War yeah. leaders. Then, I mean, if, if that's the case then they're just not doing enough to develop guys, then it seems like that would be kind of the next sure. argument to be made. Sure. Well, that's, and that's like a longer term thing. I have my beef with, uh, I, I was very optimistic when Jerry DePoto got hired. I'm a stats guy. He pretended to be a stats guy. I, I think <laughs> that's he's probably the best way of putting yeah. it. He pretended to be, a he stats appeased guy. that part of the fan base to some degree. I don't love every acquisition he's made. Some of them seem like he will never be like a world series GM. Uh, he'll never make Houston. Wasn't like a destination. Tampa Bay is not a destination. Obviously the Dodgers took like unlimited resources and guys who were incredible statistical minds, put right. it together. And now they're a perennial contender. And I don't know what you do about that. Those guys are, I mean, the, the Astros now aren't even a destination. It's just like, yeah. they have a generation of depth in their farm system and major league roster. I don't know what you do. That's kind of like I, the Mariners lost. Am I like they lost? They lost 2023 five years ago. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to spending money, um, you know, even if you don't do it through free agency or expensive trade acquisitions, you can spend your money on international signings. You can sure. spend your money on paying for guys you draft. Um, there's different ways to spend, but, money. You, but and, you can only draft as many players right. as you have draft picks for. But I'm yes, saying you there, can there pay are guys them. who like will fall down a draft board because they're going to be too expensive to sign. You're going to have to pay them sure. more than what, uh, their slot and the draft says they're worth. Right. Yeah. Um, those are guys that the Mariners might have to take chances on, you know, or international yeah. guys that might cost too much. I mean, a few years ago, I'll give them credit. They made a huge international free agent push to sign Shohei Otani. We don't really know. I mean, the rumor was that the Mariners were second or third on his list behind the Angels, but they basically cleared all this this international spending money space so that they had the finances 
to be able to bring him in if they were able to get him. I said at the time that that was the day that Jerry DePoto got fired, and I don't know that I'm wrong. I, I think it's well, possible. Well, I mean, you know, like, what they did with that money instead was they paid for Julio Rodriguez. So they, they signed him out of international sure. free agency instead of Shohei Otani. So they ended up still, I mean, that's a hell of a consolation sure, prize, that's, that's right? True. Like, if we all looked at that year as the Otani sweepstakes, to come away with Julio Rodriguez out of that is pretty incredible. But you, so, you, so, yes, yes. Absolutely. Right. But you also got how many years of Otani performing at an elite level yeah. before Julio even made it yeah. to the majors. And know? now the Mariners aren't even, I mean, the Mariners obviously think they have a shot to sign Otani sure. this coming off season. But if any national baseball expert would tell you they have no shot. So, sure. So the perception. In, in fact, though, I will say like with Japanese players, this is, that is maybe, the, this is maybe the one place where the Mariners have some. Right. The fact that Ichiro is still in that, that locker room every day. I guess it's the one good dividends. thing about that asshole still taking batting <laughs> practice every day is that maybe Shohei Otani will come. But I mean, right. part of it, part of what I heard when he came to the U S was that he wanted to play for a place that didn't have a legacy of, Japanese stars. Yeah. And, and he, it, that he might did still that. be the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I mean, the Mariners are especially conflicting because I do think the knock on them that they just don't spend as much money as they have is a fair one because they're always towards the top in profitability among teams. But for whatever reason, that money is not going back into the, pl- the play on the field. Sure. It's just not. I don't know. Like you said, whether you choose to do that through homegrown talent or through free agency, through trades, however it might be, you're not using those resources on improving the play on the but field. It, my and that's my a point is also is you can't go spend $30 new million dollars every year, a new $30 million every year. Like, I mean, you can, though, in baseball. You can get away with it in baseball more than any other sport. Well, so – yeah, fine. Technically, there's like a there's no salary cap, whatever. But what right. I'm saying is, is like when you sign a guy to a 10 year, 300 million dollar contract, his 30 million dollars is there next year, right. and it's, it's part of the budget over. next year. Yeah. If you if if the argument is Major League Baseball teams can spend unlimited money, so they should. First off, wait to see what it does to ticket prices. For as the one thing I would say, like it's going to make the games much more expensive to go to. All that stuff. Like baseball maybe has the 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 most direct line between team spending and the cost to view the game. Yes. But I would also argue that if they're winning, that's going to make ticket prices go up too. True. So, true. so it's like, I, I do think that there are fans. That's a really out there, good point. That is a really good point. Right. Like regardless of how you spent your money, if they spent, if they were, if they had the Oakland A's payroll and they're paying nobody, but they happen to make it to like the ALCS. Yeah. The next year ticket prices are going to be, a but, lot, regardless. But ultimately, my point is, is like these teams have budgets. Every team has a budget. They don't have limitless budgets. Even the Dodgers are trying not to spend a luxury tax. Like the these teams do have budgets, and the they, team is profitable. Whatever. The, the, here's the thing. It's it's not. Everyone will say the thing. It's not my money. That's fine. It doesn't make it limitless. It doesn't make spending irrationally. There's many deals like this Jacob Degrom deal <laughs> yeah. that end in a player severely underperforming the money he was paid. Robinson Cano, probably. No, okay, so this we can talk about Cano in just a second. But I do think that you're ta- this stance is interesting based on what you said earlier when we were talking about PGA and the Live Golf Tour and siding with basically owners oh, over sure. players. You so know? so in for, this me, case, it's, for me, there's no, the, the biggest thing with this, the, the analogy is like when Griffey left, 
Yeah. People were mad at Griffey. And to me, we shouldn't have been mad at Griffey. Even though he did hurt my feelings, I was mad at him at the time. But as an adult <laughs> who's now worked, like that guy needs to go make as much money as he can. But, but I don't root yeah. for uh, outside of Griffey, outside of players that you love. I'm rooting for laundry, man. Like I'm rooting for the, the team. I want the Mariners to yeah. be good. I mean, okay. I would say that Griffey was a little bit different just because he wanted to go play closer to home. That was sure. his whole thing. Again, that's a labor thing, not a management thing though. Like right, I relate right. to that, that. Yeah. You can be mad at Griffey for that or whomever. I mean, it's no one even should really be mad at him. If that was sure. the real intention behind wanting to go, then nothing you can do here is going to save that relationship. Um, also the trade brought in a player who was better than he was yeah, like no. by war immediately. Right. Plus Brett Tomko. <laughs> <laughs> With Cano, I feel like the Cano one always gets a really bad rap because Cano was actually a very good player for the Mariners sure. through the duration of that contract. He was. at the, the last year with the Mariners, he gets popped for steroids. And then the miraculous thing about that contract is that they were actually able to get rid of it. That is, if you ever want to point, like I know a lot of people will look at the different trades Jerry Depoto has made and said these are all incredible. That's the biggest one, I If feel they like. traded Robinson Cano for nothing and the Mets took on his salary, that would have been a win. Yeah, and to I know get star prospects out of it was insane. Yeah, they basically bought the prospects by sending money to offset some of that contract, and that's fine. That's I feel like that's one instance where you have to spend the money, and it's totally sure. worthwhile. Um, but people, you know, I know after he went to New York and became a Met, uh, his performance declined dramatically, and everybody says, oh, that would have happened here, and maybe it would have. Um, but while he was a Mariner, he performed well. And that contract that they gave him 10 years, 240 mil or whatever it was, that's the going rate for a player of his stature. You see that all the time. Even I think, with it, I think at contract. the time it was more than the Yankees were. I think they had to overpay him for the time. They did. And they'll always have to. I mean, and that's the same thing with this year. If they were going to go get one of these big name shortstops this past off season in free agency, they were going to have to overpay them because you have to overpay them to make the travel worthwhile, to make being away from your family, sure. this far away from your family worthwhile. Um, all the things that we talked about, all, all those things you, you're going to have to pay for that. And I don't know if the Mariners have just historically been outside of Cano, been unwilling to do that, or maybe they are willing to do it and they just can't seal the deal for other reasons. I don't know, but they're never in on these guys, and that's a problem. Well, and I think the thing, too, is they they either made a tactical mistake or they know more than we do. Well, actually, that's absolutely They definitely true. know, they more, know more than, than we do. do. Yeah. So they said at some point, J.P. Crawford is our shortstop. So what they might have known when they said that is we already know none of these shortstops are coming here. So we can if we're going to get anything out of this, we can get some – vote of confidence, buy-in, a cultural win for J.P. Crawford. and Yeah, yeah. So that's because what – I mean, well, fine. And also, no, like – No, you're right. But I mean, what, what I'm saying is, is, like, they they may know that none of these guys are coming for a price that's reasonable long before we – That's the, that is the one caveat that I think we always have to give is the, there might not be an amount of money you could pay – Carlos Correa to come to Seattle. Exactly. I mean, I think that is a realistic thing that most fans are just never willing to now, accept. The fact that he ends up in Minnesota, very insulting because I feel like it's a worse version. <laughs> it's basically, it's got the yeah. same problems. Bigger bugs. Yes. Yeah. No, that, that is a reality. I mean, there are some guys that are just never going to come to Seattle 
even if they offered a billion dollars. If they yeah. offered them live tour money, they're still not coming here. That's just a reality. That is, and that's the case with any of us. I mean, think about your own situation. There are some companies out there you will never work for. Sure. Whatever your field is, whatever it is you do, maybe you work at Target and you will never work at Walmart. You know, there's sure. certain things like that. And your criteria might be different than your coworkers. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's something that's always going to exist in a market like this, in a free market like baseball is. Sure. Um, so, so that's a reality. I mean, I think, again, getting back to what I originally said, the Mariners are just complex because there's so much going on. I mean, the the profitability, the profit margins that they have, it shows they always make money, and yet the money's not being recycled yeah. into the team often. Sometimes it is. I, always, the, I, I'm, I will say I'm skeptical of these, these like, profit reports because this is like a cash flow discussion where yeah. like the Yankees don't have to be cash flow positive to be profitable. Right. We don't know what John Stanton's finances are. Just because the team is making money right. doesn't mean he has the money to spend it on no, players. And also like the big thing about owning a team is not always ca- cash flow positivity. It's appreciation and value. Yeah. And, but and they might not be getting the same appreciation as the Yankees. Totally. The, you know? Yeah. Again, the complexity of this team extends farther i mean every time john stanton and jerry depoto get a chance to speak it it often doesn't go well sure (laughs) you know like i guess maybe the marketing i mean part of the thing is they're giving bad news a lot of the time well the way that they communicate is not great i mean stanton tends to operate every time he speaks it comes from a guy who operates like a company CEO who's simply concerned about the profits right like the way he talks the language he uses it makes it seem like he maybe doesn't care about winning as much as he cares about money, and that's going to reflect badly to fans. Jerry Depoto, he is just one of those guys that wants to sound like the smartest guy in the room all the time. Sure. So again, you know, he's going to say things a lot of times that don't resonate with the average fan, or um, he'll say things. A lot of times, it feels like he talks when he doesn't even need to. Like you don't need to say J.P. Crawford is your shortstop. You can tell J.P. Crawford that behind closed doors. But to say it well, out saying loud, it publicly means more. Saying it, well, it does to the player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to the fans and to the people around the team and to the prospective free agents, they're all going to hear that and say, "Well, why would I want to go there?" Well, unless again, because we don't know, unless. He'd already been turned down by right. all. He'd already, you know, been given a, a no go from all of the agents of all the free agent shortstops. Yeah, and then it's like at that point you could either say nothing or you could try to benefit your team by making JP Crawford feel like you really believe in him. Yeah, I mean, I would just man the cultural aspect, the the culture aspect that they've tried to create in Seattle with this organization since Depoto has been here it very much feels like the we're a family company, sure. you know, where it's like you're saying all the right things, but they're not reflecting amongst the, the people, the employees, right? So, they're just not reflecting amongst the employees for whatever reason. Is it you? Is it that the message comes across as disingenuous? Whatever it might be, it's just not resulting in what we want. Now, you could argue that last year's success at the major league level proves that it did work. The culture sure. did work. And maybe maybe that is the case, but it it until you sustain that success, people aren't going to believe it. You have to sustain it. Yeah. I think to me, the, my argument would be, it doesn't matter how much money they spend until they have the right front office. And I'm fine with tearing the front office down. If that's the argument, I'm fine with that. Yeah. If they're not doing a good enough job of acquiring players, 
in any form, free agency trades, I'm fine with that. I'm not, I'm like, I'm ready to, I'm fine with writing off the front office, even after the playoff year. That's unfortunate that it's got like, they might have bought themselves a couple years. I always thought like Jack Zarenzik bought himself extra years by having one good season. Yeah. One unexpectedly good season. And uh, like, even when I was uh, on team Russ and not team Pete Carroll, <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, these like, it is like that championship has given him kind of like a lifetime pass. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because last week we were talking about how in the NBA coaches and front office members get fired all the time. Yeah. Even with success. Jared Depoto has been with the Mariners since 2015. So this regime has been in place for eight years now and they've had one playoff run and it was last year. It took till their seventh year to even get to the playoffs in most most franchise would have fired that guy. Yeah. You know, he would have already been gone. So the fact that, you know, I'm sure people will point and say like they've been successful. It's like, yeah, but should they have even gotten to that point? Like it should have they should have torn this thing down prior to that. I mean, I, the in baseball you see these teams stick with with their regimes much longer. So I get that, but it seems like the Mariners have always been willing to give the benefit of the doubt to that front office and because it just historically hasn't has not paid off with this team, you know you have to doubt that it's working, right? Because yeah. it's never worked. Last thing before we go to the home run game, very common thing that people will say because what I think the Mariners have needed for twenty years is a rebuild. People will often say they've been rebuilding for twenty years. It's not true. They've never actually committed to a rebuild. Even when Jerry Depoto came, he basically was like, "I want to win now, and I have a five year plan." Trying to win now sacrifices that it's why the five year plan became a seven year plan. Why yeah. it's it's it delays this thing that will need to happen. You will need to acquire talent that is especially by the way, because it's very difficult to get players to come here, you gotta have players you have leverage over. This does this sounds very anti labor, by the way. But like Julio Rodriguez, they signed to this big deal because Otherwise, he's got to wait five years to sign a deal. And they're giving him essentially a yeah. market value contract right now. That's something you can do if you have that if you have leverage over these players. They've never done a full-scale rebuild. Jerry DePoto never did. Jack Zarenzik never did. Bill Bavese never did. Woody Woodward never did. Pat Gillick never did. Like these are, I mean, maybe the Woody Woodward era they did on accident because they were so terrible for so long. They kept acquiring <laughs> these high draft picks and converting them, which is something they've struggled on. But yeah. um, So what you're saying is they need to at least consider a full-scale rebuild. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is like right now you're in this period of time where you have Julio signed for 13 years, which now becomes very similar to the Felix situation where you think you have a generational talent. Yeah. So you have you have to make some commitment to winning now. But what I what I think is the most likely thing to give the Mariners a championship yeah. is a full-scale rebuild and a like uh like a you know, a half decade of talent acquisition that and some reasonably high conversion rate and I don't think Depoto's the guy for that. Well, I mean, the, yeah, the the real issue is that the as they had kind of rebuilt things, you know, whether you want to call it a rebuild or not, as they built up their farm system over the last few years, they've now been taking all those assets and turning them into trades. Sure. You know, because they have to go get those guys that they can't get in free agency. So they have to make trade acquisitions. And while it, you know, it's, it's worked to mix results, you know, they, some of these guys that they bring in via trade have been very good. Others have not, 
that's always just a risky play. You know, you've done exactly what you wanted to. You've built this farm system up, but rather than gamble on those guys working for your organization, you're passing them off elsewhere for veterans who have a compressed window and that you're paying more money for. So it's just, you know, they, they kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth when, when they built this thing up and it's just, it doesn't look like it's working. So yeah. who knows what's next? Who knows? Man. Yeah. One thing before we get into this, I'm very conscious of, I have, uh, uh, I've been fucking with my nose a bunch cause it itches this whole podcast oh, for some reason. Co- cocaine. Maybe huh? alert. Yeah. It's the cocaine. I might be slightly <laughs> allergic to your dogs. Oh, but, okay. um, that's possible. But I just want to acknowledge for the listeners that decided to watch, thinking they could see you sweat. Perfectly cool in here. Cool and quiet in this room. I've got my AC vent uh, right behind me, just blowing up my backside. It's very nice. It's nice in here. It feels great. Um, Okay. Home run game. Okay. I'm going to give you the one, the, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to call him, uh, we had a, I have a nickname for him on a different podcast of mine that I forgot about until I was thinking about doing this. It's a backwards Trevor. Which, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's uh, we're gonna just call him backwards, Trevor, for his own anonymity. He knows that I appreciate him, and uh, this keeps his am- anonymity. There's no Trevor; it's in reference to. <laughs> You'll understand when I explain it to you. But backwards, Trevor is the name. Uh, he suggested Juan Gonzalez, who is not a former Mariner but a guy who ruined the Mariners yeah. for years. Big home run hitter. Man, he was uh, he was good. He played um, 17 seasons. Yeah, he played a long time. Starts with Texas, uh, plays with Detroit in the year 2000, mm-hmm. plays only one season in Cleveland, which is actually surprising to me because I seem to remember him and Albert Bell. In the, I wonder if that's even true because it was 2001. Was Albert Bell an active a uh, Cleveland player at that time? I think I am completely full uh, of shit. No, I don't think he was at that. Bell was already with the Orioles, if not yeah, out of baseball. So, so whatever was in my mind about Juan Gonzalez and Albert Bell being in the same lineup, no, no. completely. Albert Bell, by the way, very underrated player in the in the uh, annals of baseball history. Yeah, he was good too. Yeah, no, uh, I feel like Juan Gonzalez is like, he, <laughs> he typifies the 90s, the steroid era of – Home runs. I'm not yeah. saying he was. I don't think he was ever even accused of I steroids. Think he might have been. I think he, he might, was one of the he was early a big guys. Guy. He was yeah. very muscular. Uh, hell of a hitter. Underrated, I would say, in a lot of respects. Yes. Um, though you could argue that playing in Texas in those days made him underrated. They yes. weren't a team with a spotlight on them by any means. Um, he took the 1996 AL MVP away from our guy, from Alex Rodriguez. Everyone yes. thought. That should have been A-Rod's MVP season. Uh, he was only like 20 years old at the time, too, that year. Yeah. And they gave it to Juan Gonzalez instead, and a lot of people thought that was an injustice, but they both had great seasons. They both You could not, uh, couldn't go wrong with either guy. It's tough in the today's modern era to not acknowledge that the guy was a shortstop that was hitting like a Absolutely. elite first baseman. Yeah, so, okay, you said he played 17 seasons. Uh, so, well... Say towards the end, he probably wasn't as good, and maybe in the beginning only played partial. So maybe so can, I, can I tell you what backwards Trevor said was going to happen when I bring this up? He said, okay. he said Juan Gonzalez, Alex is going to go through the process. He's like, he's he said he was way wrong on what he thought. Okay, and he's like, Alex is going to go through the process and stick it within two. 
So that's your threat. No, there's there. no way. Sticking it within two. Who does this guy think I am? Yeah. Uh, I think the closest I've ever gotten was three, right? That, Probably. That was on, like a on. miracle. Actually, I do want to, I do want to, because he sent it to me. Uh, so there's some, we're going to figure out how to deal with the first two weeks. One of the options is to ignore them completely. But if we ignore them completely, you've been off by 356 total home runs. And I've been off by 494 home runs, which is actually a narrower gap than I thought. Yeah. After last week, and After means last, that I'm, I yeah. can't remember what the exact difference was last week, but I might have been leading. You were either leading or we were we were very close to being tied. Right. I think prior to last week, and then Wade Boggs just came around and kicked you right, yeah, Jose right Cruz, in the nuts. Jose Cruz made love to your backside, <laughs> and Wade Boggs made love to my backside, and you got the more attractive partner in that case. So don't look at this. Uh, yeah. Okay. So 17 years in the big leagues. Uh, he was putting up legit home run numbers in the 90s. So not not those 25 home run seasons. He was yeah. 30 to 40, maybe even more in some seasons. But we'll say he averaged about 30 over 15 seasons. So 10 seasons, that'd be 300. Five seasons, that'd be 150. So 450 home runs. I'm going to say, oh, man, he might. I don't. Again, I don't think he was a 500 home run guy because I think he'd be in the Hall of Fame if he was. So, I do think he has a steroid thing, though. Okay, that yeah, that could prevent. I mean, everybody, every hitter in the '90s is now like, we've all decided Juan to Gonzalez ostracize them. steroids. <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a probably category, yeah. he'd definitely fall into Hold the on. probably. Hold on, wait. Let's, I, this is a great thing to do on a podcast. Stop talking, Alex. I need to. Juan <laughs> Gonzalez steroids. Yeah, you probably yeah, stop talking. Uh, Never directly connected to performance enhancing drugs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But All again, right. if there was a probably category, I don't know. He was, pro- he might have been just a weight room warrior. He was in great sure. shape. Uh, I'm going to say he hit 465 home runs. So you're not far off. The process, I do think, worked. You didn't stick it within two. I'm sorry to say. If you had stuck it within two, I'd have been pissed. Yeah. 434 home runs. Okay. I overshot it a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I had the – so when backwards Trevor said – he told me he was – I didn't want to give it away too much. He said he was surprised by the amount of number or amount of home runs. I actually thought he was in the 500s, and I assumed he was in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Or had a steroid thing. I thought he was approaching 500, which I guess I also, he was. I also thought he had a 50-plus home run season. He never did. He did lead the league in home runs yeah. twice, but with, uh, I think, 43 and 46. He had one, two, three, four, five, 40-plus home run seasons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just one of the great hitters of that time, one of the great power hitters of, of that time. Th- but. Those 90s numbers for guys that did not make the Hall are just going to, in retrospect, look so wild because there's not going to be a lot of, like, 400 home run hitters in the modern era. I can't imagine. You don't think so? I don't think so because I think just the quality of pitching they face is going, you know, having a different reliever every sure. single inning through the back end of each game, that's going to be – Tough to equal those numbers. Who would even be like a who's a guy like what? Look up like Bryce Harper or somebody like that. He's probably got a lot though. Bryce Harper stats. He's probably got a lot. I mean, there's this certain guys that'll do it, but he's like he's like one of the guys I would consider one of the premier power hitters of this generation. And okay, I'm gonna look him up here too. All right. And to think that like I don't know if he could ever even get to that number. He's 30 right now. He's got uh, 288 career home runs, and he's sure. 30. 
He'll, I think he'll hit 400. I bet he'll, he'll hit 500. Hit, but like, the, like Juan Gonzalez, he's one of many guys from that area yeah, that yeah, were over fair. 400, right? But it's like if you're from the steroid era and you didn't hit 500, you're not an automatic hall guy. So yeah. it was just a weird time. I okay. Think we have, uh, oh no, good. It's not that bad. I knew there was world slightly. I only had like two and a half hours of time on this SD card. <laughs> I was like, that'll be fine. We do a 90 we're, minute podcast now. I'm going to be very close. Okay. I've got a guy for you. It's funny because we, we reverse roles. Usually I give you like the, the big name former player and you give me a former Mariner. Yeah. Today you gave me the big name former player and I'm giving you a former Mariner. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know if this guy's going to be tough or easy. Uh, he he only played for the Mariners for two seasons, but they were two of the bigger seasons, 96 and 97. He was a first baseman, power-hitting lefty, big guy. Yeah, I know who you're going to say. Can I guess the name? A big Italian man. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> although although I don't know that the, the other <laughs> – it's one Paul Sorrento. It is Paul Sorrento. Uh, now I have to. How many know. people could you go on a podcast and they would guess Paul Sorrento from very little information? Not many. Yeah, that's Not even many. Mariners fans. We are just a just. We're a, degenerate Mariners yeah. fans. Okay, I got to see how he was acquired because I couldn't remember this. I believe it was the Tino Martinez trade oh. to New York. No, speaking of free agents, he was a free agent signing okay. in '96. He came here because they because traded Tino, Tino Martinez to but New he, York. He was in was Sorrento in New York before that? No. Okay. He was with. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, I believe. Yeah. Did he, so he, did he have a no, he was stint with, with the Rays ever? Uh, yes. So he played the the start of his career was with the Twins. Uh, then he goes to Cleveland. So the Mariners actually acquire him after he beats the Mariners in the '95 ALCS as the first baseman for Cleveland. Uh, he plays a couple years here in Seattle, and then he finishes his career in Tampa Bay. Uh, so he ends up playing 11 years in the big leagues for those uh, four teams that I mentioned. It's funny because he never had a one-year stint with any team. He always played multiple seasons with each team he was with. Um, I guess that means he was like a dependable or at least sure. likable enough guy to bring back. Um, batted left, threw right, uh, listed at 6'2", 195, which I would say that 195 was probably a rookie <laughs> number. Uh, he seemed much like a, bigger than that. A couple yeah. meatballs. He was just in like his the career. the prototypical like late '80s, early '90s thumping first baseman that you could never picture playing another position besides first base. Yeah, back then first basemen were first basemen. Uh, when, for you, good or for bad. It's interesting because when with the Mariners he was only uh, third base in DH, but. Or sorry, first, first, ba first like, base, first base in DH, yeah. But when he goes to Tampa, where he finishes his career, they actually play him in left field from time to time. Oh wow, that's like a uh, what was the guy Scott Hatterberg that they play? I think. Uh, oh the, yeah, the the catcher who's uh, he he's in Moneyball. Yeah, he's in Moneyball. He plays first base. Yeah. We we should uh, have a Moneyball discussion on it. This way too much for this, but <laughs> I can't stand that movie. Believe it or not, the movie I, I like the book, but the movie is not good. Yeah, yeah it won awards yeah because these people had no idea thank you they don't care about historical accuracy thank you i've been shit on every time that movie comes up it's like I hate it. when bohemian rhapsody got nominated for a bunch of awards sure it's very historically inaccurate so people sure. who actually knew the story was were upset about and it. i loved it because i'm an ignorant fool <laughs> when it comes to bohemian rhapsody okay um so yeah 11 seasons that's all you need to know i'm gonna let you venture a guess at paul sorrento okay so runs. i'm going paul sorrento is a downgrade from Tito Martinez. I believe I'm going he is a guy who in full seasons was averaging 
25 to 30 home runs. I uh, probably a fair amount of doubles also. I think a prof- one of these guys that's a professional hitter. Obviously, you take the 11 years, you subtract a couple years from the end, from the beginning. I'm going to go um, 212 home runs. That's not terrible. It's okay. not terrible. Like like me, you overshot it. Uh, 166. Okay, that's the not number. It isn't terrible. I my original thought was 180, but I you would you should have gone with that. I know. Now, well, yes, obviously very, in retrospect. Uh, the process again. This was one I was like, boy, it really just kind of depends where in the process you peg him for his average home run years yeah. because, um, that's why I was like, I'm not sure if this one will be hard or easy for you. Uh, his numbers, the first three seasons, his seasons in Minnesota, he basically, they just didn't play him. Right. Uh, so 89, 90, 91, 23, 24, 25 years old. They're really not giving him any playing time, but they were really good teams. That was like Minnesota's world series caliber teams. Yeah. So they just didn't have room for him. So those first three seasons, he only had nine home runs total. Then he goes to Cleveland in 92. Now he's becoming a full-time player. Uh, his home runs jump dramatically. So he has back-to-back seasons of 18, then a 14 homer. Then he really kind of hits his stride in the mid-90s. He's 25, 23. I didn't remember this, but in 1997 with the Mariners, granted their offense was insane in 97, so everyone yep. was hitting. King 31 Bell. home runs for the Mariners in 97 and an OPS of 859. In 96, he hits fewer home runs, but his OPS was 878, which is the highest of his career. Uh, so he was actually a very productive first baseman yeah. for the Mariners. He was pretty good. Uh, and then, yeah, he goes on to Tampa for those final two years, and he still hits double digits both seasons. Um, so, yeah, his, his high career high in home runs is 31 with the Mariners in 97. But he was kind of always in the – it ranged from, like, the mid-teens to that peak of 31. Yeah. Volatile number. That's why he was never one of those guys that was like – you know, I feel like a Did guy Did he play like, in any All-Star games? I don't think so. Yeah, no. no all-star games. No. Downgrade from Tino, but probably actually in those two years, not a huge downgrade from Tino. No, I mean, those two years were two of the most productive years of his entire career with the Mariners. And granted, he was doing it in the Kingdom, which was a hitter's park, and he was doing it surrounded by a lineup of guys that were like Hall of Famers. Yeah. So that probably helped. Uh, he was, I'm sure he was seeing a lot of good pitches. But, uh, yeah, he, oh, bless you. Thank you. We had to get one sneeze in <laughs> to prove my point about my nose that I'm not doing cocaine. Um, Career OPS of 798. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, he was a solid, solid player. I had uh, this idea for a pot. Have you ever heard of that website? Like, it's a blog, I think, called the Hall of Very Good. I have heard of it. Yeah, yes. I don't know even what it really is. I just think the name is amazing. It's and I think name. it would be a great name for a podcast where it's like guys like Paul Sorrento where you're like, fuck, I forgot Paul Sorrento existed, you know? Yeah, and he was pretty good. Yeah. He was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. One last thing before we end. Uh, I am conscious of this thing that I was not, I didn't prepare for. Uh, you're a shoes off house. I didn't wear socks today. And I just want to acknowledge. I, we're I'm not really a, a shoes off house. Right. We just have carpeting everywhere. You just so. want to make sure that I put my grimy bare feet And I'm just under. comfortable. Yes. In my socks. All right. All right. <laughs> Public apology. All right. <laughs> To your wife more than you. All right.